Oh man, guys, I'm so excited to be back. I am hyped. I... I'm so excited to have you back. I, I know it was a big deal and a lot of prep went into this. Oh man, yes, seriously, it's... like, when you guys told me we were doing a Michael Bay ranking list, I was so uh, excited. So I have spent the past uh... two months doing this. All, bro, like, literally, I've bro. been playing Bad Boys 2 over and over again. I've seen Painting Dean six um, times. Uh... Bro... Bro, uh, this is a Scorsese podcast. We're doing the Scorsese podcast today. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh, this is bad. Oh, guys, I mean, oh, no. it's, it's kind of like Scorsese. Like, Bad Boys is a movie about the streets. It's about and, like Mean yeah, Streets. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can take Will Smith, make him Italian, and <laughs> pretend Scorsese directed Bad Boys too. Yeah, yeah. Get Will Smith, give him a bowl of spaghetti, and. Call it, you know, Mean Streets Two. Meets <laughs> oh. Bad Boys. So, so, so the Rock is like bringing out the dead because they both have Nick Cage in them. Uh, it's the same movie, basically. Yeah. Uh, they drive an ambulance through Alcatraz. Uh, I believe that's the plot of one or both of them. The day this releases, the new Michael Bay film is out. So I'm glad you prepared. Although we're not discussing any of that. Now that you guys have told me this, I'm throwing all my Michael Bay notes away. I have to, I have to catch up in Scorsese during this intro. So let's go ahead and do this intro. I mean, the movies are a little bit long, so I feel like if you start Irishman now, maybe by the end you'll be about halfway through. <laughs> yeah, as long as you watch like ten minutes of each while we're going through them, I think it'll be good, and I think that'll give you the best impression. That's what Scorsese would have wanted. You that is to how do. I, I think saw that's... Irishman. So let's get into it, guys. <laughs> This week on the Twin Geek Cast, Calvin, Bro, and David rank all of the Scorsese pictures. As one of our best living directors, we'd like to celebrate his filmography on the release of The Irishman. And though I'm no Olivier, if before Sugar Ray, he would say that the thing ain't the ring, it's to play. So give me a stage where his bullhead can rage, and though I can fight, I'd much rather recite. That's entertainment. Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? I make you laugh? It's what it is. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? That doesn't help. Go on. Pray. But pray with your eyes open. The Searchers. It's a movie. Well, uh, I'm not used to admitting I, I like westerns. Oh yeah, why not, huh? Everybody should like westerns. Solve everybody's problems if they like westerns. Okay, I like westerns. Okay then. <laughs> yeah, that was some picture. So, uh, yeah, um, do we want to do any disclaimers before this list? Cause, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess we should dis- talk. Go, go ahead. <laughs> My disclaimer is going to be I won't remember any character's name. I'm going to exclusively refer to the actors as the actors okay. <laughs> in this thing. So just accept it, people. Alright, I think that's an easy thing to get behind. But yeah, I think it is good to kind of just uh, talk about what the list is, kind of like how we always do. This is our third director's list. We did 
the Coens about this time last year and Tarantino earlier this year, which Bro was also on the podcast uh, for. And basically, it's just a conglomeration of the entire site's feelings in a very chaotic and uh, haphazard way. We kind of all argue and bicker our feelings about Scorsese movies together. And this is the biggest list we've done so far because Scorsese has been making movies for 50 years. This is 25 on this list. And there were about 10 of them no one talked about at all, other than us. Yes, specifically though, we gathered us three here because we all three set out on the ridiculous mission of attempting to watch them all before The Irishman came out, and and we were semi-successful. Between all of us, we got two of them, I think. I think it, are all three of us Scorsese complete now at least? No, no. No? Okay, but we're all pretty close. I missed out out on, like, Alice and then Mean Streets. Oh, you'll be fine. And Bringing Out the Dead. Those are for sure I have not seen. That's, yeah, so we'll we'll cover those because me and Calvin actually did, uh, I think, Calvin, you, you, like, 24 and a half, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) I I left half a movie. Maybe there's a fear of finality of my favorite director, so... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that that half when we get there, but I've I've at least watched them all, so we've got the creds here to talk about every single film that Martin Scorsese has made, all his uh his feature films, his theatrical films. There's always those caveats because he made lots of he's done lots of documentaries and such too. Uh, have you guys seen any of the documentaries? Uh, several of no. them. Uh, I'm not I'm not a huge expert on his documentary work. Of course, there's all like the Rolling Stones and the Bob Dylan one and uh, a couple of his others. Awesome music ones, yeah, personal ones. He's done, like, interviews with his family and such. But anyway, that's just up here to get that out of the way because we're not talking about documentaries today. We're talking about feature films, and whew, it's going to be a long one. Uh, I hope you guys used the bathroom and everything before you started because we'll be here a while. Yeah, narrative feature films. So let's get going. Uh, all right, uh, you ready, bro? Yep, at number 25, it's New York, New York. Yeah, so New York, New York is our last one. Uh, nobody go anywhere because we're going to bitch here for a little while because we're scraping the bottom of the barrel to start. <laughs> uh, I don't think we had really pinpointed this as being the worst before we got to it. Uh, I don't know, had any of us even seen this before we started this project? This is another one I haven't seen, but I was going to ask, what did you know of this film before you saw it for this? Right? <laughs> Ooh, uh, oh. All right, I think it's interesting. So my my understanding was that it was a a mess of a kind of grand musical that Scorsese attempted after yeah. <laughs> coming off the uh, the uh, coming off a of Taxi Driver, and that I, I, I it had the reputation of being his worst or one of his worst films. But I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, I watched this in this was one of like two Scorsese films or three, I had not seen prior to doing this marathon. I'd seen everything else up until then, and it was mostly just rewatching. But New York, New York was one of the blind spots I had. I was already watching a bunch of musicals in November. I was super excited to get to this, and I was just devastated by how awful it is. Like, I was I was not prepared for how genuinely terrible this movie is. So, yeah, so- I... I think I brought it to you before, and I was like, "Well, I think we have a new worst on our list." Because uh, yeah. I mean, I I thought it. I think it's offensive, and I guess what I knew about it before was that it had some of the same overtones of like a Raging Bull or a really great Scorsese picture, uh, but it would be a musical in a time where musicals were pretty much dead. So like seventies, late seventies, that genre is completely desolate. So I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to give it one shot, but uh, man, this one wore on me fast. 
I think offensive is the correct word. It's it's genuinely offensive. It's like if you take the characteristics of the, the very mean-spirited, toxic, masculinity, abusive characters of the likes of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, but you remove all the context that prevents us from, like, sympathizing with them or, like, the movie siding with them in any way, and, and then that's what you've got wrapped up in a kind of quasi not-so-great musical package here. It's not even, like, terribly good musical all of it's kind of stuffed in the last half and even all that once it finally kind of comes out in its bombastic form it's not enough to redeem any of the just absolutely horrid uh abuse that that they kind of display in an almost glorifying manner i feel like throughout it justifies its its characters just terrible awful traits uh specifically just de niro's character it's basically he's just emotionally manipulative of Liza Minnelli the whole time and it the film doesn't really sympathize with her ignoring characterization how do you feel about um the actual performances I you know I didn't even think they were that great they weren't they weren't no. noteworthy to me again uh, it's I mean I've never seen well I've seen a lot of De Niro phoning it in but uh, uh between his great performances in Taxi Driver and Raging Bull I, I just not very happy with this it, it just wasn't terribly noteworthy. It wasn't particularly great. Again, I, I think a lot of it was more so the... I, I don't know. Scorsese felt very lost. Even some of the cinematography, yeah. a lot of the, the you know very kinetic camera movements that Scorsese has and the particular framing. There was one shot I remember in particular. It was, it was early on in the film, and it's framed like like a scene in Taxi Driver where you've got De Niro in a phone call and it's just like this this stationary shot down along it's like a it's a train uh platform but but or not not platform but stairs there's stairs leading up to the platform and then the camera pans away at one point but it just felt so blase the shot did even though it had the hallmarks the setups of a Scorsese shot it just the the life wasn't there I'd say only redeeming quality introduced a New York, New York, which would become like a jazz pop standard. Uh, yeah, it was it was Frank Sinatra's like main, you know, number one song throughout like the last part of his life there. Yeah, and he did that. And the greatest scene in Gremlins too, clearly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, do we have anything else to say about this before we move on? Absolutely not. Um, no, I don't. I don't want to give him more any more platform to this very this putrid film and i feel bad that i have to shit on it so heavily for this scorsese podcast because we want to be here to celebrate him and we just come out the gate swinging like this this movie's Uh, fucking awful we will well well, i i i think general consensus is debatable when it comes to his greats as far as like what's better but usually when they when they condemn a movie it's they're pretty right on the money here yeah i mean I think there's something in here. I've seen, like, I've, I've tried to find some merit. Like, I'm going around reading reviews of people who like New York, New York, and I'm like, I don't I, I don't understand. And, like, like someone commented on the Letterboxd review I had saying, yeah, I, I, I get all that, but, you know, you're not supposed to sympathize with the character. They make it obvious that he's a bad guy. I'm like, yeah, but the film still kind of endorses his behavior, which is the really toxic and, and messed up part. And it didn't have to be as a, as a celebration of, like, classic MGM musicals. I don't know why it has to be so vile. Yeah, um, I mean, there's nothing redemptive about it. Uh, at least in the others, you could find some moral center in what they're trying to do. I don't feel like there is any here. Oh, it's it's weird. I'm ready to move on from it, though. New York, New York is bad. Yeah, so let's it's at get, the bottom. Let's get to our <laughs> high notes, right? 
All right. <laughs> 24, Boxcar Bertha. Hell yeah. Uh, oh. No, no, we're still in the bad territory, unfortunately. Uh, At least this one's it, semi-interesting, <laughs> though. Uh, you know, it's been so, so long. So you guys you guys both got to see Boxcar Bertha. I watched this a long time ago when I first set out to do a Scorsese marathon, and uh, this was kind of the low benchmark there. I'm like, oh, okay, so Scorsese has made a bad movie. Yeah, I'm going to give the disclaimer that watched was a very loose interpretation here. I, 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 I paid attention, dedicated, for the first, like, third, and then I zoned out for a lot of it. And then I, I kind of got back into it near the end, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the thing I like about this is... Um, I like this time period. Yeah. I like the depression era, oh, yeah. and I like I like I like the sort of politics behind this. But when it goes into Bertha's um, sort of uh, outlaw, you know, thing, it, it's very ugly. It feels very <laughs> ugly movie. It feels like an exploitation film, and it is. It is. It's it's entirely is because it's a uh, under the film you made with Roger Corman, yeah. you know, which was was helping foster a lot of directors at that time. Uh, but it just it wasn't really the route for Scorsese. Famously, uh, you know, the, we got the quote from John Cassavetes, uh, was directed about to Scorsese at this film, and he and he talks about it and how he kind of turned it around and led to his next film. Is that after the success of uh, Who's That Knocking on My Door, which is his feature film, and Cassavetes really liked and encouraged Scorsese from here, and then he went and made this uh, Boxcar Bertha for Corman, and after screening for Cassavetes, very 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 nicely. Uh, Cassavetes told Scorsese, "You've just spent a year of your life making a piece of shit." Right. Um, <laughs> just, oh just gosh. very frankly, and that's, and, and that's kind of what's the the most people remember talking about Boxcar Bertha about. That it was kind of the the impetus to move away from this kind of exploitation stuff and make more personal works. Is what Cassavetes encouraged. It clearly made an impression because after this, he'd mostly make things that are personal. I mean, of course, we have like we could discount the New York, New York, New York, which is. Just like the struggling auteur not getting their voice heard. But um, here, I feel like it just doesn't work as a story either. Um, I don't feel like it's a very good story about a radicalized female. And it's about union workers, stuff that always interests Scorsese. But uh, it doesn't go very deep into his own interests. I think he's really making it for an audience and it doesn't work. Uh, I agree, and I, and I appreciate uh, David Carradine. I yeah. like David Carradine a lot. Yeah. But even then, he he sort of has uh, he's he's the yin to like he's he's sort of despicable and sort of forces, especially near the beginning where he sort of like forces himself onto Bertha, yeah. and then he sort of I want to say brainwashes, but I mean, um, influences her to to do these things. It's kind of. It upsets me. Uh, it's kind of like uh, New York, New York in that way. There's a there's some sexual assault going on in both films. There kind of is throughout, mm. even starting with his first movie. There's a lot of uh, men that have been repressed and taking it out on women. And we'll get to some of those. Yeah, it's a recurrent theme in Scorsese's work. Uh, all I remember, really, from Boxer Bertha, from my viewing, is I remember David Carradine a little bit. I remember a little bit of Barbara Hershey, but mostly I remember the plane crashing. Like that's a yeah. visual I remember in my mind. That but... was a te- that was a terrible opening. That was, was. the worst <laughs> opening I've ever seen to a film. Was that the opening? Oh my god! I can't... See that this things that I remember so little else from the film. It's been it's been literal years. I mean, literally, it starts with like her dad dying right. in that plane crash, and she's just like doing a fake sob, and it's just oh my god! It's really bad exploitation. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's a shame. You know, I have to say. 
I warned you guys not to watch Boxcar Bertha. I told you it was bad, and I said I would vouch for it on the podcast, but you're like, no, no, we're going to go through and watch them all, and then you came back, you're like, oh man, that was really bad, and I'm like, I fucking told you! Oh, well, it was always my plan to watch it, so... Well, now you did, and you don't have to ever again. Probably not. I mean, I might. We'll see what happens. Right. I, I, know. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not going to ever watch it again. Yeah, I guess Bro has seen considerably worse in the before, so... I don't think it's the worst film ever made or something. I, no, like no, it's not it, the... It, it has aspects. It's just absurdly average in a really great filmography. Yeah, I don't know. It's, there's just nothing worthwhile to me in there mm. whatsoever. To the fact that I've literally forgotten just about all of it. I mean, the ending was semi-exciting, but I watched it two weeks ago and forgot about it. So. I'll, I'll say this, though. It was never offensive from what I remember, unlike New York, New York. That's why New York, New York goes to the very bottom, even though it obviously has higher production value and caliber of actors. And there's, like, some good musical sequences and shit, but, but it's a genuinely offensive film. Uh, Scorsese making a Corman film is also a funny thing in history to think about. So it has that yeah. one thing. Uh, well, Alright, so uh, do you think we're ready to move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're getting to the stuff it. that has likable things about it. Now, now, now we get to the good parts. We're done shitting on Scorsese now. <laughs> Alright, yeah, we're at number 23, bringing out dead. Another terrible so, movie? No. <laughs> no, no it's, this one's good. I like, I like bringing out the dead, but I do find it is a bit more forgettable. And I think you like this a little less than me, right, Calvin? I think it's a really fun average movie to watch really i mean nicholas cage is really going all into this uh the kind of nick cage that i like which is like the weatherman bringing out the dead nick cage where he's really dead behind his eyes and he's like given a thousand yard stare i i really love him in the ambulance with john goodman too yeah well that's the best part he gets uh, three different ambulance partners throughout and john goodman is obviously the best the, i think the movie just gets really repetitive also after time and that's kind of what plagues on it uh What's i don't the runtime that's uh, like a two-hour film. It's not bad. We haven't gotten no. to bloated Scorsese films so much yet, uh, except for like New York, New York. But um, yeah. uh, otherwise, you know, this is your your standard runtime uh, Scorsese film here, and it's got a good cast. I think the only one I don't really like, like Ving Rhames, I'm not huge on in the film, and Patricia Arquette doesn't do anything for me, and that's no. kind of a big that's kind of a big component of it because she's like the female, you know, counterpart to Cage in the film. I mean, Scorsese has a lot of women in his films who are the moral center, but they take up very little screen time. And yeah, she, she uh, does that not very well here. There's also just the weird thing as well. I uh, I don't know if this caught you off guard, but there's some cheesiness, I think, in the film. Yeah. Like, they have they have a made-up drug that's killing a bunch <laughs> of people. It's called Red Death. Yeah, it's the Red <laughs> Death. Uh, there's... And, and hearing that, that sounds so unlike Scorsese <laughs> and everything else. No, no, it it's very not him. It's so bizarre, I... and it, and it's not like, it, and it's from a, a a good script writer as well. Paul Schrader wrote the script for Bringing Out the Dead, and it doesn't feel much like him too. And it's weird because they make this big deal out of Red Death the whole time, and it's like, oh, it's it's heroin and some other you know thing we can't figure out, and it's just this MacGuffin item that's used to you know kind of drive the the plot or whatever it's this mysterious thing it's never really important um i there there's some really weird parts too like the guy who's begging to die and he wants Nick cage to kill him and he's like uh fine i'll kill you you know there's there's a weird attitude behind it yeah it's uh and he's kind of annoying throughout as well when he comes yeah. in it's kind of an annoying well, let me movie. ask 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to ultimately ask, why do you think, out of the good ones, this is at the bottom? It, other than the fact that other people didn't see it. <laughs> that's another big <laughs> I think thing. that's is that a no, big part of it. Yeah, this one ends up at the bottom because me and Calvin are the only people who have any opinion on it, and our opinion is middling. Uh, uh, I think why it's also closer to the bottom is just because it's it doesn't connect so much beyond it's, it's very obvious i think that's what it is is that you've got this film it's it's about death very obviously and it's and it's kind of you know sentimental about that aspect uh but it doesn't but scorsese's done death better yeah, before. It, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really uh dig into that theme very deeply and it's more impressive i think from a technical standpoint and you see a lot of scorsese flourishes with the cinematography and you get a s- different view of new york city uh, through it, which is an interesting one, but not not one that's nearly as great, especially since we're in the 90s at this point, and I think New York is nominally less interesting in the 90s. And I think it has just, in, in, I don't think the stories are that interesting. I mean, the John Goodman part's good, but then that's followed by the Ving Rhames and Tom Sizemore bits, which, you know, I, the, the last one's fine, but they don't measure up. No. There's a, there's a whole weird bit at the end with Tom Sizemore, too, where he wants to go just beat the crap out of a guy like a homeless Whoa. guy because they can <laughs> so that's but, a thing it, it's about three different things which is god yeah john goodman wants to go get lunch ving rames wants to save people with jesus then tom sizemore wants to beat the shit out of homeless yeah it's a weird a yeah, lot going on sounds very weird <laughs> and then there's a whole other thing going on with patricia arquette and you got with her father who's fighting to stay alive even though he's obviously very much in, like two, two feet in the grave practically at this point and he just wants to be put off life support and he's like uh like begging nick cage through his eyes to kill him already and then you got all the red death side plot and stuff as well there's a there's a lot kind of just shoved into here and it's very erratic g- bouncing from one to the next and it never really lands on one thing yeah i'd agree with that but like I said, there's some cool cinematography stuff. Uh, you know, you see the scene where they did everything backwards, Calvin. Yeah. You can see, like, the snow falling up. That's really so there's, cool. Like, this, this weird dreamy moment in it, and there's a lot of little things like that kind of throughout. And like I said, there's a lot of really good cinematography choices, and you get a good uh, perspective of New York. I kind of like it. I kind of like it in a way that it's channeling after hours in some sense, which is like the New York after the hours, what's going on. Uh, this is showing another side of that. Which is like yeah. the professional uh, first responder side, so that's fun. But that's it. I think I think you just wish, yeah. I think you just wish Scorsese would do more with this kind of film because it's an interesting concept and kind of average execution. I think we're moving into some pretty cool stuff after this. Yeah, let's hear it. We're, that's what's right. Next? <laughs> At number twenty-two, it's who's that knocking on my door? So this is uh, Scorsese's debut film. He it started as a, a project for his like college thesis, I believe, uh, and it kind of got added with more material later on, and then eventually blossomed into this uh, first thing, which has also been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, but Calvin, you really like this one, yeah? Yeah, I, I like it quite a bit because I feel like it channels a lot of new wave inspiration that I'm also inspired by. Uh, it has like a good Gardarian uh, bent to it, and it feels like it uh, is very academic for Scorsese that he learned everything about cinema right before he made his first movie, and now he gets to show us at least what he knows. Yeah, uh, 
it's one that didn't connect with me so much because of, uh, I don't know, I just felt a kind of distance from it. I'm also not as big on the, the new wave stuff as you are sometimes. Right, uh, yeah. It's not something I've done a full into, and I think I'd appreciate it more once I got it. I still got my DVD copy sitting, waiting for me to revisit it, but uh, it is, I, I do think it is notable because, you know, you've got your first pairing with Harvey Keitel here, who we went on to make quite a number of films with. Um, Bro, have nice you seen see. this one, by the way? I have, I have okay. not. Um, I also know nothing about this one, like at all. So, I have like a vague recollection of. I had a vague recollection of uh, bringing out the dead via clips, and I also uh, have a vague recollection of like Mean Streets. But I know nothing, even the plot of this. Okay, movie. so basically, it's setting up basically the scenario for Mean Streets. Like the whole pitch of that is like this is taking place on the same streets as that, and it's like his foundational okay. work. The the actual. Uh, plot of it though has to do with um it, it, it's it's kind of plotless because it is more kind of new wavy kind of just you're you're in the movie there but it has to do with uh Kaitel's character and his conflict between faith you know his own faith and uh again another sexual repression of it i believe it is the uh correct me if i'm wrong calvin the 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 rape of his girlfriend that he's kind of reconciling with uh yeah i think that yeah that she was raped by someone else and then he has to yeah yeah it was like humanity a that it's like a long time ago well, kind of ask, thing. I do think. you think this right. is Kaitel's best in Scorsese? My, my favorite of Kaitel is Judas, um, but I, I I haven't seen a lot of that Kaitel stuff. So um, and and the ones I have seen, like Taxi Driver, he's a very limited role. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think of Kaitel here? Yeah, I mean, I like Kaitel and some of Scorsese stuff. I think he does good stuff in Alice and Taxi Driver, and uh, uh, I don't have a big idea about him. About here, specifically, you don't... I mean, he's good here. Yeah, he's fine. Alright. Uh, I think, personally, for me, for Kaitel, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more later on, but Mean Streets kind of hits this peak for me, and that's kind of what Who's That Knocking on My Door feels like more so, as I've, I see a lot of Mean Streets in it, you know, so... It, this is proto-Mean Streets. Yeah, kind of in this some ways. This is not formed. Hmm. But again, it's been it's been a while. I'd like to revisit it again. Uh, but I, I think Calvin kind of summed up a lot of feelings on it were very well there and that connection to the new wave, French new wave cinema. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because it's like the French do. They're talking about American themes. Like they're, they're talking about the Western. Uh, like he says, everyone loves the Western. Right. Um, but then it's like, they take those influences. Then they make an art piece about just living, which is a, you know, the French and Italian art films of that period were like very influenced by early cinema. And everything it's they a, learned, so that's interesting for him. Cinema verite is usually the the term we use to describe this kind of film. Yeah, like a slice of life, which is yeah, the verite just look at David bringing out the academic terms. <laughs> Dang, <laughs> he knows one French word even if he hasn't seen a movie yet. So. <laughs> noir, I know film noir as well. That's French. There's a couple, <laughs> at least two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I do like this movie. Uh, we should say it's the first use of the doors in any movie ever. So, uh, it, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, I guess this it this was the, around the, the time. Uh, I was gonna say this was around the time when we started using pop music in films. Right. Uh, you know, it kind of catapulted with uh, the use of it in uh, Easy Rider in '69, but this was a year before, I believe. So he already has that needle drop down because he puts the doors in for the first time with the end. Uh, which, you know, would, would play long in a lot of movies. That so would be like the Apocalypse Now, the big moment. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so it's very influential in that way, too. 
Well, what do we have next, uh, bro? I'm interested to keep going. <laughs> we have number 21, Cape Fear. I should sound more spooky when I say this one. Cape Fear. Cape Fear. I have seen this one, y'all. And uh, I, I think it belongs in its spot, but I think it's funny. I think <laughs> watching it this time, I still can't separate it from, like, The Simpsons. Because Daenerys' character just does some ridiculous stuff. Oh, it's here. ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and uh, I haven't seen the original. Apparently, this is a remake. Yeah, this is a remake I'm, of a... 19- I'm sure David's got this one handled. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a 1962 kind of uh, post-film noir. It stars Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum in the roles there. Uh, I like them about equally, actually, though, you know, they have their own merits. People typically prefer uh, the the 62 version because, of course, Robert Mitchum is genuinely menacing and De Niro, you know, walks the line of being cartoonish sometimes. Very weird role for De Niro, I thought. A weird turn in his career to do this in 91. You know, I, I, I rather like Cape Fear. I'm going to be the Cape Fear defender here. Uh, I find it very entertaining. It's very blockbustery. Uh, it's actually, uh, this was originally a project for Spielberg, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he swapped with uh, Scorsese. Uh, so Scorsese took this over because it was going to be more of a commercial hit, which is what Scorsese was kind of looking for at the time. And Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think my problem is I don't... We're going to get into it when we talk about Hugo and when we talk about um, Shutter Island. But there's definitely certain movies, and I guess New York, New York was, I, I suppose, an attempt at it too, where he tries to capture a sort of uh, public feeling where it's not necessarily not impersonal. Like, I think Shutter Island hits the marks more than I claimed before the rewatch. But there's definitely, when Scorsese does movies like this, it feels... It feels a higher caliber than most directors, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Spielberg passed on this. Yeah, I mean, and it does feel more Spielbergian already. You can kind of feel it's got a more commercial tinge to it, but you still see lots of uh, Scorseseisms kind of come out in it, and a lot of things people take issue with in the film. I rather like. I like Robert De Niro's performance. I like the, the over the topness of it. I like Nick Nolte a lot. I think he's way better than. Gregory Peck is in the original because he's kind of just a uh, white bread kind of toast there, uh, milk toast specifically. Uh, I agree. Nick <laughs> Nolte's dope. <laughs> and, and I even like, I think the biggest complaint people typically have in the actor category here is for Juliette Lewis. They find her kind of weird and naive, but I like Juliette Lewis and maybe it's just because I had a crush on her when I was younger, but. Maybe. Um, I think Look the... at you, David, announcing all your hangups on a podcast. <laughs> Look, All look, right. look, I can't go back from talking about having weird sexual feelings when cats popped into my mind. You know, after I announced that, I was done. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, an open no, book no, this now. Is your, this is your therapy. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, what, what other thoughts do we have on Cape Fear? I think, the, I, think, I think there's that theater scene where she goes in and approaches him, like, on the stage is really special. Mm-hmm. I, oh, uh, yeah, so that one, it has some actual malice and uh, some, some very tense feeling to it because it is that that kind of uh sexual predatory uh nature to it as well and it, and it becomes something very grotesque uh but i also find the finale for the film very thrilling and tense uh, and they do a really good job with that and i like a lot of the the speech making throughout it there's that great uh moment where you've got him kind of bombastically you got the nero's character bombastically making the speech about God and men and all that, while Nick Nolte's yeah. cowering behind a dumpster. 
Yeah, when it's most theatrical, I think it's at its best. I think it has moments of peaks, but I I think it's a fun watch anyway. I, I wouldn't say it's on our, you know, I wouldn't say it's here because it's bad. I think it's basically good and basically starts our, our list of really good movies. Yeah, do you do you want to go ahead and move on to the next one then? Yeah, yeah let's let's hear it. All right, so so it's number 20, Hugo. The best 3D in theater experience I've ever had. I kept trying to think of something to argue against you, and then I was like, I really don't have anything. I don't. I didn't like Avatar. I think Avatar is like the only thing that could probably come close. Yeah, Avatar. I, I'm not a Cameron fan. A- Avatar is probably the only like contention point any people would have. Nobody's going to tell you that Alice in Wonderland was a better 3D experience. I mean, there isn't so- one that's better than this one, so it's it's hard to. Well, I mean, it's important to consider like right after this, they started doing that post that the 3d in post yeah. mm-hmm. where like the directors didn't really intend for the 3d where scorsese definitely built this movie with 3d in mind oh yeah it's it's totally manufactured i mean the storyline how it moves uh, there there are great scenes where it implements like obviously like the evolution of cinema starting with like the train coming at you in the theater and then you feel it in 3d and it feels like okay we're still moving technologically and then nobody ever made a good 3d movie again so <laughs> I got a question for Cal. When do you think you're going to show Ezra this film? I, I think we've watched it in the background at least twice already, so I, I I don't know when she'll really sit and watch it. It'll be a few years. Okay. I, I did yeah, think I mean, I guess that's the thing. It's like, this was a, this is, it's a weird kids movie, and I, and I think it's the biggest flaw is probably how it functions as a kids movie, but that being said, this is a great introduction to film for a, for a kid. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird that it's a kid's movie. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, uh, especially regarding the subject. I, I really feel like Scorsese made the film more because he wanted to make some kind of monument to George Melies, uh oh, which totally. is basically what the, what the entire second half is, more so oh, in yeah. the kind of w- the whimsy of that. But uh, otherwise, it's kind of overstuffed with a lot of stuff especially in the beginning uh like the first half of the film is really uninteresting to me oh really i i mean 1930s paris is extremely my shit too though i mean that's, I mean, that's like a, really tr- my interest it's calvin's aesthetic yeah it is it, it's, <laughs> is it specifically 1930s paris train stations because that's the one location you get we're I, not going out to the eiffel tower or anything i mean i think that's really special for me too i love the parisian metro and train systems so i i i'm really and I like sacha baron cohen so uh that, that, that was a really great role yeah I yeah so. i just i i wish there was more to it that's the thing is that all the people hanging around because you got christopher lee in the movie too for god's sake but he's got like like two scenes and that's like it i really don't like child actors so it's really big for (laughs) me that this butterfield is incredibly good in this i think it's probably my favorite child performance of all time Uh, i i find that so hard to say there's (laughs) there's a lot i I don't i don't know about greatest child performance of all time there's a lot that are actually there but here's the thing i get where you're coming from in that a lot of times a kid uh, actor will remove you from the film like you're like oh my god what the fuck yeah i really and like him here. yeah this one does not do this for sure i agree with that all right i think i think it's mostly just that calvin is spacing on other kid actors like i think all i'd have to say no. is do you remember tatum o'neill in paper moon and mm. you'd probably say oh yeah yeah that's much better seems fine but uh you know were they in 3d <laughs> <laughs> 3d in my heart how about that <laughs> no you're right paper Here's moon thing, better movie if you do Scorsese Bad Boys in 3D, I mean, 
It sells itself, y'all. I know. I, I would go day one. Um, yeah, I, for I don't for have much more on Hugo? Hugo. I've never sat and watched the whole thing in two D, so I also don't not believe you that it's not great without the three D. I, I think you I, I were mean, better. I guess off. that's the thing is, I've seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters with my niece back back in the day. She, it definitely flavored my uh, opinion because like I was a teenager then, uh, just taking uh, my little niece to see a movie, and she did not sit through it very well. No. Um, but seeing it this time around was actually more pleasant. Oh, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, since I've only seen it in 2D, I've seen it twice in 2D now, uh, it feels like I'm losing out on something. Like, the way you praise it, I just, I, I have a hard time fathoming it, so that must be that secret that's missing from it. I just, and it's a... I think it was also the, the bit with the train and the milieu, the throwbacks done in 3D was really special, and I was like, okay, this is the only... Scorsese I could play around my daughter that's been the hard thing about this marathon is that all these movies are really yeah. difficult if you're a parent um, and because oh, that's they're why long you set out... and they're violent and they have difficult yeah. ideas about <laughs> women and men we're difficult if you get sleepy during movies yeah. and I get sleepy and oh man three and a half hours for Irishmen <laughs> we'll get through it <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah okay, so, it is interesting ahead. that this is a movie made specifically for children from Scorsese, and it's like his only one. And I, I know he did that intentionally because, like this, this material was brought to him by I think his grandkid. Let's say his grandchildren. Let's say I was never a child when this came out either. I was, I was already kind of an adult, right? So uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what that's like. I, I, I don't know if it works just for a kid. I, I brought my little brother to it when, and uh, he seemed impressed. But uh, and and I think that's that memory of me taking my little brother to a movie that. You know, his kid affectionate, and I could show him some Scorsese for the first time. So maybe it's close to my heart in a weird way. Oh, that's that's good at least, and I hope you're able to preserve that memory. I hope a a full focused two D viewing of the film wouldn't ruin it for you. It just if might that, not if that happen. were the case, yeah. yeah. If that were the case, I would just encourage you to hold on to your memory. <laughs> yeah, until I can find a way to see it in three D again, I'm sure there will be one day an opportunity. So. All right, do you want to move on? Yep. All right, number 19, it's The Departed. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the only way. The Boston movie. That's the only way you could say it now. You have to do this whole section in a Boston accent now, bro. <laughs> Please, David. That's my least favorite part of this movie. <laughs> Is all the Boston-ness? What, you don't like dropkick yeah, movies now? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I never did. <laughs> but how Boston uh, is that Mark Wahlberg? This might be Mark Wahlberg's. I'm just kidding. It's not Mark Wahlberg's best performance. But yeah, the police scenes in particular, where Alec Baldwin and Mark Wahlberg do like that back and forth stuff, uh, it just makes my brain melt. So I I thought I'd be really high on this, and I guess my news isn't that interesting. That I went and watched Infernal Affairs, and then watched this, and I feel like they're basically the same, and not both amazing movies, but they're fine. It's it's interesting because this was also the one to have the most significant drop in my rewatch because I this came out like in the right time where I enjoyed it as I was getting into film and I'm like, ah, oh, it's perfect. It's a great gangster movie. Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio. Ah, and then I'm going back. I'm like, oh, there's like an entire subplot here that's just garbage. 
okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this is definitely entry level, but also, like, even now, I get the feeling that if I was 18 years old getting out of high school, I think I would still like this movie a lot. I, I think, like, time didn't even change that. I think it's just a sensibilities thing. Um, there's still a lot to like about this movie, but it's, it's not necessarily graceful. Um, it's fun is I think the thing. And uh, the intro is amazing. And I like the soundtrack a lot. And Leo has a good performance. Except for the fact that they overuse songs. Seriously, they play play the same section of Gimme Shelter three times. That's because it's the best section of any song ever made and Scorsese it's, knows it's that. Great. that he does that in Casino too. he does it in three movies it, it happens in Goodfellas and Casino he, and he, here, so. he plays Gimme Shelter in a lot of films because he loves the Rolling Stones he loves that song specifically but he plays it three times just in this one movie <laughs> as well as the two instances of the Dropkick Murphys song yeah. and that comes up at two different points so the funny and I'm thing pretty is sure... after all of that he made the Rolling Stones talk about a concert and it doesn't have Gimme Shelter in it <laughs> it's it's silly. I mean, I just think it's weird how they keep using the, the same song, and if, if it feeds into the bad editing aspect of it no. to me, where I feel like the plot lines aren't well done in it. It's it's kind oh. of poorly balanced. I think this flows like butter still. I think it's so easy to watch and jump in at any point in the movie and be like, "This is a perfect I agree. Cable I think movie. this is a yeah. This is very digestible. Um, it is digestible. Any, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's uh, it's like wheat. I, yeah. it, it keeps me irregular. I do want to but, be clear. Uh, I, I I like The Departed still. I like it still. I enjoy the performances especially. I like the, the plot itself of the finding out who's the rat. I like the integration of phones into it, which I think is a unique thing we still haven't kind of quite figured out in modern films usually. We don't we don't incorporate new technology very well. But how do you feel uh, about all these flip phones? There's so many flip phones. I enjoy it. I enjoy that. I it's another part of in Infernal Affairs. They have a big aspect with that as well. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the similarities there, obviously. But uh, it's it's mostly just like how I don't know. I, I guess my biggest problem really is just the the god awful therapist character really really <laughs> dings things for me. <laughs> I mean, not great. Yeah, I, no, I mean, no, pretty not commendable. Uh, if you were in that profession, you'd lose your job for it. But. Uh, I mean, just so many. Nicole. Every single decision is just the stupidest one you could make. <laughs> I was gonna say Nicholson doesn't do wonders for me no. here. I think I think Leo does a crazy good job. I think if there was an acting performance that carries the film, it's probably Leo. And then Matt Damon does a very serviceable, if not yeah. good job. I think he's like I a backbone here. I think Damon does fine. It's it's yeah, really it's very but, solid. Leo stands out like this is a a top performance from Leo here. He's really giving it at all, and it's a shame that the movie it, around him is not doing the same. Uh, I like Jack Nicholson a lot here. I'm I enjoy really? his character, but it, he is basically just doing a, a Jack Nicholson thing. And there's a lot of weird things as well that I, that he kind of brought to the film, like the whole bit with the dildo in yeah. the porn theater. That was that was a hundred percent Jack Nicholson's idea. And that's the kind of weird shit that he does, you know. I, I want to say the bit with I, the. I have a scientific. Go ahead. I want to say the bit with the rat is the most on the nose thing that Scorsese's ever done. 
Oh, yeah. This movie's not subtle. No. This movie's not subtle at all. He telegraphs a lot of stuff, like the X's behind the characters and when they're going to die and stuff. It's it's not very tasteful. Bro, that X thing, that's an homage. They do that specifically from Howard Hawks' Scarface. It's an homage to that. Well, gosh darn it, David. You and your fucking... (laughs) Just kidding. That's what I'm here for. Either way. (laughs) Either way, though, it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, well, I mean, he just does that a lot in this film, right? And then, um, what was I going to say? I was actually going to come up with a scientific theorem for Jack Nicholson. And that is when he's, f- the fatter he gets, really the worse he gets. <laughs> it's an interesting theory, I think. I, it mostly seems right. I, I suppose this was, he was basically on the brink of retirement here at this point, I believe. Like, he had one foot out the door already, and this was kind of this last, like, uh, kind of return to form question mark uh, kind of behind it there uh kind of more gangstery stuff i don't know i like it i like seeing the the partnership there we should say scorsese hadn't done a gangster picture for a while before this too yeah so, well i mean i can't remember does, what does, one was right before this uh, is gangs of new york a gangster picture i guess it kind of is uh, but not like not, not not like gangsters were thinking about yeah uh, not not in the way that i mean i suppose no so we're going back and to the, the casino. I like, I like the yeah. I like the emphasis on the police here because oftentimes his his crime films sort of like. Anyways, um, yeah. I the thing I like about Departed is that it explores the police uh, side of things. Normally, his other crime films don't really have the police as a main uh, uh, as a main character or as a main force. Okay. We, yeah, I hear. You. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that was my thought. <laughs> That's okay. all I got. <laughs> <laughs> and we were looking back, and it's the one that won him the Academy Award, of course. But we were looking back at the year, and uh, there's a few things that stood out to us. Yeah, I mean, it, he kind of finally deserved it after all this. I mean, he should have got it earlier, but uh, you know, based on what was it was going up against, I'll run down the the uh, nominees for that year for the 2007 awards and it uh, departed was up against Babel, letters from Iwo Jima little miss sunshine and the queen and i think we're still missing <laughs> out on great stuff like of course like pain's labyrinth and uh did pa- didn't pain's labyrinth win like the year before that no i think uh, it was nominated for director or okay. writing i think it won for writing or something like that okay yeah e- no no no, okay, you know, it, it, it must have been a different year thing because it came out, it's like like a, when it played or something. I don't know, it's listed as a 2006 film, but I don't think it did. It, it, it came later. It very confusing. The stupid Academy rules and stuff. And we also have stuff like Children of Men that are coming out around 2006, which is much better picture. Yeah, That's it's, yeah, I don't know, but based on what the party was up against, I think it deserved to win. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what about, what about Bo Rat? Would you would you put Bo Rat up against a <laughs> I thought you meant I thought you said Bo Rap at first. No, Bo Rap or or we also have Talladega Knights or Adam Sandler's <laughs> Click. Or what about Nacho Libre? <laughs> Guys, you, now you're my now, wheelhouse. I like these movies. Now but we're talking about cinema. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will see Talladega Nights ten more times before I will see The Departed one more time. I mean, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, but I guess that moves on to um, number 18, guys. We're done, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for Departed. <laughs> 
Sorry, sorry if anyone was more, like, I guess the other thing to say is if anyone's disappointed in our conversations, we're trying to move a little fast for everybody, but also, there will probably be a podcast on these top 18 or 19, so we're fine. Oh, yeah, these all deserve their own spot. All right, okay, so number 18, guys, is Silence. Wow, what a move. Seemed appropriate to have a moment of silence here. Oh, I just thought you guys cut out. I was just playing long. Oh. Gosh darn. That, that would be awkward if we all just did that the rest of the podcast. <laughs> It'd probably be more entertaining for our listeners. I guess my feeling about silence is the like the baseline on it. It's about how we establish personal faith against like persecution while living in the world of God's silence. Because he'll never talk to us directly, so... What do we do, and how do we establish a faith when it's really challenged? And uh, about kind of outlining Christianity in other countries, and should we? Yeah, I agree. Um, this is especially like in an in-person, in implicit personal sense. That's a fantastic context, and that's really worth exploring. I think this movie should be higher than it ended up being, but it, you know that's another. We issue. both talked about it before before David got on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both thought. <laughs> Just because nobody had a strong opinion on silence, I feel like it really slipped down the list because I, I think it's really great. Well, um, it also has I, the disadvantage of kind of being compared to the other uh, bigger, more celebrated uh, religious film in Last Temptation of Christ. And yeah. uh, I think just in general, this the material isn't suited for a lot of people. Uh, you know, when I went to go see it in 2016... Uh, I had to trek out, like, I had to go to a theater an hour and a half away from my live, where I live, just to go watch it. Yeah, that's uh, crazy, because, like, <laughs> when when Last Temptation came out, that was a revelation in, in like, box office. Oh, because it was a huge media this. sensation, yeah. It, it showed us that close personal films were no longer the way, like... By 2016, you could only really make blockbusters at the theater. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I love this movie a lot. I like Last Temptation more, but that being said, I think this movie is probably very unforgiving. It's very harsh. Um, yeah. If you lose yourself in it, or like if you like lose place in it, you're lost. You really need to pay attention and absorb every frame. Great cinematography, yeah. great performances, for the most part. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. I think we kind of agreed that that Andrew Garfield uh, is not a really great actor like he he was trying to be here. in 2016. <laughs> yeah, this uh, might be his highlight, which, which is unfortunate because he's not great. <laughs> yeah, he's got a I mean, really think... bad accent, uh, especially in contrast to Adam Driver, who's who's way more capable <laughs> as an actor. Well, it, they both put probably... on these weird Portuguese sounding inflected accents that don't really suit them. I bet you though, if you put Adam Driver in the role instead, it would have done better. But he was he was only in the beginning of his glow up at this point. So I mean, this was really the moment where I was like, other than Patterson, where it's like this guy's going to be the big thing now. Meanwhile, Andrew yeah. Garfield's Spider Man. So for two movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yeah. okay. I guess. I guess he is. Um, and I like uh, uh, Liam Neeson shows up. At the very start and then at the very end of the film, sort of like to bookend uh, Andrew Garfield's experience because they're very similar in like how the Andrew Garfield basically goes through the same arc Liam Neeson did off screen, and uh, yeah. right, and and he gets his best line ever, which is like "Go ahead and pray, but with your eyes open." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good line. 
Is that is that a better line than the Schindler line? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good line. It it has a lot to say in it. I think. Are we not counting the Taken line? I mean, that's like a. Oh, that's that's, like that's true. Like, that's you're you're right. It goes from <laughs> Taken to these. The... Yeah. So, uh, I like Silence, but I also haven't been compelled to rewatch it since I thought it, saw it in theaters. It's not it's not as uh, compulsively watchable as many of Scorsese's other films, I think, and that's kind of what deters people from getting into it. I mean, it's such a labor of faith, but it's also a labor to watch. All right, Any other uh, comments next on one, Silence? Bro? Uh, I mean, no? I, I, I think I said pretty much everything, in my opinion. Also, we tried to record this, and we got cut out, so I think I, I lost a good bit of my steam for Silence here. But <laughs> Yeah, sure. It's a great movie, though. It, it I, is. I think, I think it should be higher, it, in my once, opinion. But... but. Probably at least like by like ten more places, but that's higher fine. than the next one, which is seventeen. Coon <laughs> Unbelievable. So, so yeah. I guess How this is where. <laughs> what what happened here exactly? I don't know why. I guess because we finalized the list before you guys really solidified your thoughts on silence. I think I just got lost in the mix because you probably could have got it higher than Kundun. But I uh, I really liked Kundun. I don't mind saying it's better than Silence. Kundun, I liked it. Right? That's, yeah, that's the classic Sopranos. The, that's the, the thing Sopranos about thing. Yeah, I'll praise over Silence, and even over Last Temptation is it's very pleasant. It's a pleasant movie to watch, even yeah. when it goes tragic. It's very pretty yeah. in a different sense. It's colorful, and it's it's warm, well, even when it when you even when it goes into deeper territory. The the notable thing about Kundun is that this is Scorsese's only collaboration with a brilliant you know contemporary cinematographer Roger Deakins, uh, and he he really shines. He's kind of more the star of this film than anything else, because uh, the subject matter isn't as immediately gripping for Kundun. You would think it's not, but it ends up. This being is more this is literally the... substitute teacher showing a movie at history class. It... <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, I I think the one thing that saves it from that like redundancy of just being a textbook movie is uh, the Philip Glass score, which is amazingly done with like ephemeral tibetan like monks and symbols clashing and he really gets like a tibetan deep sound in there that's really important and special i think that is a good description of how people kind of perceive the film is that this is something that you would put on in history class to learn about the the dalai lama and then sleep through over the course of a week yeah um but it's actually classic (laughs) <laughs> it's actually totally worth it and that's the thing I find surprising is that I find the story really interesting uh, I find of course the cinematography is su- absolutely stunning it's just that the film kind of loses steam towards the end once we get to the adult part of the Dalai Lama then it becomes less interesting because he becomes more of a deity character I, uh, so. I enjoy Scorsese's dedication here to representation the, a lot of the supporting yeah. cast is legit Tibetan and um it's 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 welcome like he he was like if i'm gonna make this movie i'm gonna make it authentic as fuck and and that's definitely well some of them some of them are actually descendants of the dominant well no i mean it's mostly not but but some of them are uh, the main starring people are actually descendants of the dalai lama so i think that's interesting that's awesome i just think the music and the score is so sensitive and beautiful i i i just love philip glass anyway yeah, so th- those are the things about it. That's kind of how it snuck its way above silence, but it's it's a little more fluid. The list is fluid. You can kind of take either or there, I think. Just imagine silence in first place and then, you know, <laughs> the rest. 
All right. Uh, what do we have otherwise? Oh, good. <laughs> wait, wait. Are we doing? Are we moving on? Yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. Here. Number sixteen, Games of New York. <laughs> All right. That that was nice. Uh, how about number fifteen? <laughs> oh man. We'll talk about we'll talk about gangs a little bit. Uh I think th- this is the opposite of silence for me where I think it should be lower, but yeah. it's it's a little uh I think this is th- where the Scorsese bloat is most obvious where the film is way too long and it's just overstuffed with crap. It's almost 3 hours here. I know and it's it doesn't need to be and it's a little ridiculous cuz the only noteworthy thing about the film is that Daniel Day-Lewis is acting his ass off. It's hard for me, too, because our people that liked it, we asked them why, and they said words like cinematography, and I, I don't know where to go with it. But I think it is a nice-looking film, at least, but it's uh, way too bloated for me. It's got the violence aspect of it. You know, you got the big fights in, like, the beginning and the end of the film of it, and I think there's something to it. I think the, the, the story where it's about, you know, the early gangs, you know, and the Bowery Boys and the Deb Rabbits and such... Uh, I think it's it's the like the materials right up Scorsese's alley, but you've got just some very weak aspects, and uh, it's just not something I want to rewatch. I like how it divides New York into like the borough gangs too. That that's emblematic of kind of how New York is divided anyway, and how right. the people were segregated into their own you know like Italian communities when they got there. So I mean, it has social context too. Yeah, but I'm, it's I mean, kind of buried in this. Gonna say to defend this movie against us trashing it just now. I think <laughs> this is a very strong case for setting here. Scorsese clearly fucking loves New York. Holy shit! But like this yeah, is uh, this uh, is a really good move for exploring the background and sort of like letting that breathe. I agree with David. I'm sure Calvin agrees that it is bloated. This is another one of the films that feels like it's trying to market itself, and it and it goes in the worst ways, like the fights, yeah. where it's like, oh, you did not need to do this. Like, why? This, to me, feels like five hours, but it's only three. Yeah, so so I'll also agree with you guys that Silence at least probably could have moved up here. No shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. Kudu yeah, I mean, honestly uh, might have been better, but I, I, there's a lot of people that like this movie, and I, I understand yeah. that. Yeah, I want to give Kevin and Laura props for fighting the good fight for it to keep it in this position. So we have well, done it. This is also uh-huh. like Leo's first like, like Scor- This is Leo's first Scorsese film, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I thought it was a great so. film, but then he was like Gilbert Grape. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, well, he also did Titanic. Gilbert Grape and Titanic, right? And then it was this. And and Critters Four, right or two? Ooh, oh, yeah, I guess it's one like, of those. I guess I'd rather watch this than see Titanic for the first time. So. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> All right, uh, bro, what else do we have? We got number 15, The Color of Money. Okay, so... I'm sure so this one's going to go all over this because this is basically a sequel to The Hustler. This one's just for me to talk about. I'm not even going to talk about it in context of the earlier Newman film, really. I just... I, I really, really like The Color of Money because it's just... the, the I mean... We all know that pool is just the coolest sport. It's really cool. Is it, David? About it. Is it? It's inherently, <laughs> is inherently it cool. Sport? And Scorsese makes it look damn cool. This is my this might be my favorite cinematography from a Scorsese film, even though really? we just talked about how great the Deacon stuff is. Because it's really got that kinetic energy, and it shows off the game in so many interesting ways. There's a lot of shots that linger in my mind, these very fascinating close-ups. Particularly, there's just one really brilliant one where they have this reflection of Paul Newman in like the, the eight ball, I believe it is, when he's about that, to... That's near the end, uh, yeah. 
It is. It's closer to the end. But there's a lot of great shots. They've got like these uh, these shots from really close up on the table, like right up against the balls. It shoots across the the entire table. They've got ones from up above and everything. And I just find everything about it really fun. It's very fun and interesting. And I think it's got that interesting dynamic of, uh, you know, old versus young and Tom Cruise's character versus Newman there. And the the story, I find, it's an interesting adventure, road trip movie. Uh, It's not, like, deep or anything, but it's very enjoyable. And I think it's a great late career uh, Newman film and a great early Cruise film as well. Really? Uh, I guess the thing about it, this is that Scorsese just made it so he could make Temptation, right? Like uh, he I mean, had to take on this project so he'd be able to make his passion project. And I, I feel like he, he shoots the pool kind of like it's commercial. Like it oh, looks I, like it's just an advertisement for pool, honestly. No way. Oh my god, I'm offended by that. I'm offended really? you're telling me that. No, because I think it's shot in such a more... Uh, you know, Scorsese way again because of how kinetic it is and how the camera moves and it keeps up with the ball and shots. And there's so many beautiful shots of the game throughout. He really exhibits the it in a fantastic way. I don't feel like it's you know commercial or clinical in any way at all. I feel like it's very well edited. Uh, the pool stuff is very nicely yes. put together. Anyway, it's very well packaged. Like a sell me pool. This does it perfectly. I, I definitely can see how someone would think that this is essentially just pool porn, the movie. Yeah, and, it is. And that's fine because that's really what I'm enjoying about the film, along with the performances and what's going on in the adventure aspect yeah. of it. Just but a, again, lot of, it's, a lot of balls knocking together. Yeah, it's not very, it's not terribly deep, but I, I have a great love for Color of Money, and I'm fine being the only one with that. It can be mine. I think uh, the, the Newman-Cruz partnership is so charming, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. They're, they're See, so they're... good together. Yeah, I mean, color of money the... often ends. Uh... God, God dang it, guys! I haven't gotten to talk yet. I'm just kidding, guys. Fine, fine, bro. You talk. You you talk about it. This is my movie, but whatever. <laughs> Your movie. You <laughs> own this movie. Um, I this lean is mine. more towards Cal in this. It feels a little bit more commercial, but. Maybe I just don't see the the spectacle of pool as you do. I agree. <laughs> I think Scorsese puts effort in this, and I I think that's more of speaking to how he approaches commercial products. Like this one, this one he puts effort in, and it definitely feels appealing. Um, Paul Newman specifically, I I love a lot. Uh, Tom Cruise when he's not dancing, I don't like Tom Cruise that much. But that being said, it works for me. I guess that's the other thing as well, is that if you if you don't like Tom Cruise, uh, then you may not get a lot of this, especially because he's playing in an, an intentionally annoying and uh, kind of uh, cocky character. He's like cocky to the max here, and if, that, if that's the kind of thing you don't like about Cruise, you might be rubbed the wrong way. Well, I think we're about an hour in and maybe about halfway through. At the speed up through some of these. All right, well then, yeah. let's go lightning round for after hours, which I actually love. Number fourteen, after hours. I watched it's... this when I was down there with you, David. The yeah, you time. watched this with me. That was fun to watch. Um, this is my first time seeing it, and was it your guys' first times or no? No, it was Calvin's first time. When I showed him it, or, I thought I, I thought it was, but then I realized about half. Oh, that's right. I, I saw it when I was uh, very young. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it started this, coming together for you. But I've is, seen this a lot of times. This is a movie that you could easily like lose memories of. This is a very hazy movie. It reminds me a little bit. It's a little bit more hectic, a little bit less funny. It's a little bit more dark, but it's very noir based, and it's very like a. Uh, 
it reminds me of Inherent Vice and Under the Silver Lake as far as like oh, yeah. a guy picking up the pieces of a fucking mess and right. sort of making sense out of it. And by the end, it still doesn't make sense. Um, it's I, I think, fun. I, Go ahead. I was going to say, I think this is the only real comedy that Scorsese's made. And even then, it's not a conventional comedy. It's super, super dry humor. Dry, dark humor. There's a lot of dark humor throughout as well. It gets kind of morbid at some points. And there's a lot of suspense. It... Like, there's a lot of yeah, moments where you're like, oh my gosh. Suspense. I, th- I love a... the moments where he's like, where they keep packing up the car with the stuff in the apartment as well. That's such a great repeated what, theme for With Cheech and Chong in yeah. the movie? Yeah, Cheech and Chong are in the movie. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and I think Griffin Dune is super underrated as an actor. He does such a great job carrying the film, and it's it's just kind of this crazy whirlwind of a movie. Is, uh just insane shit just keeps piling up and making his night worse and worse. Uh, I I kind of view it as this demonic Wizard of Oz kind of story and this descent into there. They even kind of make note of that. They kind of reference that in the beginning with that weird sex story with Surrender Dorothy. You remember that? Yeah, I I like the idea that everyone's had a night that's gone way too long. And I mean, at least I've had many nights like this. Yeah, that's the nice thing is I've been there. You know, I get it. I've been there where... Where I've been like, I should have gone home about six hours ago, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it just keeps going from one person's apartment to another and back. And, you know, those kind of nights that you're you're already hung over and you haven't gone to sleep yet, that's what it feels like. Also, I'm going to praise this film's runtime for being under two hours. Beep, beep, good, good job. job. <laughs> yeah, c- congratulations. Applause. <laughs> <laughs> It might be one of the very even even fucking Hugo isn't under two hours long, and that's a kids movie. <laughs> so we could get our podcast under that. We should move to the next. But You're right. We all really like this. I think. <laughs> and th- I want to revisit it soon. Yeah, Let's yeah. Do a podcast on after hours. I agree. Sometime. Number thirteen. It's Casino. A long movie. God. Uh, yeah. More long movies. <laughs> um. Uh. This this feels like a bad Goodfellas. But it's yeah. better than that when you actually watch it. <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of the the feeling. I feel like it's definitely a step down and inherently derivative of uh, Goodfellas, especially when it comes to the the voiceover aspect of it. I feel like like, like everything I feel like Casino's doing is just doing a weaker version of Goodfellas, which feels weird to come off. There, there's a lot of people who really love Casino, and that's why it ends up a little higher on our list here. But I think right. us us personally have our has a, have our reservations about the film. And I think that as far as our writers go, James Dewitt put it in first place, so that really elevated it. Otherwise, it would have sunk pretty low. Uh, yeah. I think we all kind of recognize that Stone's really good in it, and De Niro's just uh, fine. Uh, but, uh, yeah. St- uh, okay, yeah, we, where, we can talk about uh, it. Um, Stone's character is really poorly written. However, I think Stone yeah. has her butt off. So oh, my she God. does a yeah, good so, job, yeah. So that's the thing, is that she is... No, nobody can say that she's not doing a phenomenal job in the film. She is more than committed to the role. It just so happens that the role is entirely awful and garbage. Yeah. yeah. I um, mean, she does a hell of a job saving that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me to say saved. Like, like she's the most miserable part for the movie for me. But um, but it's not her fault. It's not Sharon Stone's fault. To also praise things, I, I, think, I think it does a really good job with pesci i've seen like obviously we go through all these movies and we see a lot of joe pesci in them and a lot of times his supporting actor role is very like goodfellas is very brash or whatever i 
I just liked hearing him in a different accent. I appreciated the yeah. accent in this one. I appreciated the slightly different tone he had here. Um, I, I loved him. De Niro is, I think, the weakest link in the in the three. As far as for performance wise, I can see that he's the only one character wise that really worked for me. Uh, see, I completely but, disagree, David. I think Robert De Niro's yeah, character is like a blank <laughs> slate this entire movie. Look, look, and I think that that worked better for me than the cartoonish antics of Pesci and Stone. So, it's, and that's the thing is that we're just on opposite ends on it. I think we end up on the same place feeling wise for the film, just like on the opposite side of what works versus what didn't. Which is why I think the film can resonate with other people so much more because it it seems that the parts can work. They just don't for everyone. Yeah, dude. I always think of the I always think of the explosion with the with the very obvious dummy in it. That's probably my favorite part. Dude, okay, guys, that opens out. the film. This was <laughs> a really bad opening. This was a terrible opening. It's the worst. Because <laughs> it's the opening credits that really do it. The opening credits just fucking kill me every time. I was like, this fucking yeah. you know feels what's, like a '90s movie. You you know what's crazy? Those those are Saul Bass opening credits. Weird. Oh, yeah, Saul Bass designed those. The same guy, he did the Goodfellas one. He did the opening credits for Psycho, Anatomy of a Murder. These are Saul those Bass are so opening good. credits. Yeah. Clearly he's, he's iconic. Or something. I don't know. He he was on the end of his rope there, so... If... Alright, do we guys want to move on? Do we have any thoughts? Yeah, I liked the film. Just as a total thing. Yeah. I liked it. I like Casino, too. I, I just don't... I, I'm so far away from my Casino watch, honestly. <laughs> um, you, I, you know what? Go ahead. I was going to say, bro, you complain about the opening of this last movie, this casino here, but this next one we got, I think this is one of the best openings. Mean Streets, number 12. I love, Air horns. I love it. Just, I, I love how biting the opening is with Scorsese's vo- voiceover, talking about making up for your sins in the streets. Yeah. This bullshit and you know it. I love that. And then it opens with the, the kind of 16mm uh, montage with the Ronettes Be My Baby I love it. It's and it really just catapults me into the film immediately, and I'm just sucked in throughout. I have a I have a huge love for Mean Streets. I'm going to be the big advocate for it here. Yeah, I didn't actually I, see this movie. I've absorbed uh, bits of it through osmosis. I know the plot more. Um, I like De Niro whenever I whenever I see the the image of De Niro here. I've seen his some of his scenes where he freaks out and stuff. This is this is really good young De Niro, and uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, this is the first yeah, pairing. These are my thoughts. <laughs> it's it's this uh, and Alice I, are the ones I haven't seen out of the rest. So we're you good should from you should see both of those. They're they're the defining early Scorsese films, I think, because they both come after or before Taxi Driver, but right after. This is off the heels of uh, Boxcar Bertha. This is the film that you this know, is Scorsese where he took gets the his shit inspiration. Yeah. And it really comes through because it's a very personal. This is probably the closest film to Scorsese's like actual youth in real life. He takes a lot of uh, personal drama as semi autobiographical, and he plugs that into the film, and it works really well. And you get that mix of it's it's got the perfect vision of seventies gritty New York. It looks like that, and it's it's beautifully captured. Uh, and it's it's just this great hangout movie as well. Like, it's not super heavy on plot. You're mostly just with these characters. So they go around the city and they, you know, do their low-level gangster shit. And uh, Harvey Keitel's character tries to keep uh, De Niro's character out of trouble because he's a huge troublemaker. Um, 
And it's got lots of great songs throughout. We got those great Rolling Stones hits in here. We got a couple of Stone songs kind of thrown in. Uh, and it's it's really wonderful. I love Mean Streets so much. <laughs> Calvin, any thoughts? Talk about, devi- talk about defining the voice of a director. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a few movies like Mean Streets where are such a mission statement for everything he's going to do that's cool in his career. I mean, of course, Scorsese's going to go make great faith-based movies, but but this one's about his faith that he found in the streets of New York and where he well, really found his sense of community and religion and uh, kind of what... I love the setting of this. I think it's mm-hmm. his most New York-feeling movie, too. That That's definitely... Like I said, it captures the city probably better than even, like, Taxi Driver does. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and that's the other thing, is that, bro, if you don't know as well, that faith plays a huge aspect in the film as well. Mm, you got uh, the kind of, yeah, so, <laughs> so, Kaitel's character, Charlie, he kind of is, he's tackling with, uh, his commitment to religion, and he has this, uh, guilt, he has this Catholic guilt that he just carries with him throughout, and it's this theme that, this idea, like I said, the making up for your, your sins. You don't make it up for, for it in church, you do it in the streets. So he's, he he feels guilty about something, and he feels like he has to take care of it. And so that's kind of what he does through uh, De Niro's character. He's like, I'm going to make up for my own sins by uh, making this kid better, by, by helping him be a better person or whatever, or try and keep him out of trouble, effectively. And it And it doesn't always go well mixing in with the gangster shit. And I think everyone that saw it liked it, so it earns its placement very well. Damn. Yeah, I I think it's phenomenal, uh, and it's it's not underrated exactly, but uh, maybe under discussed. Uh, it's got a lot of great merits to it, and uh, it's it kind of tops my own personal Scorsese list. It's, it's pretty high up in there. There's a lot, obviously, but oh yeah. Okay, I I think the thing that really interests me. Is the is the fact that it focuses on lower level criminals instead of he yeah. does oh, such yeah. big yeah. like oh uh, you know fucking Jimmy Hoffa shit in the <laughs> fucking Irishman it's like he, he he goes for the big picture stuff and then in this one I I, I like the scope change it yeah, feels well, the, very like local said, to him which is th- great. well because it is it's basically he's taking events and sometimes even locations from his real time kind of running around with the you know the low level gangsters in his youth. And he puts him straight into the film here. It does feel like a reflection of his own life in many instances, while also still being its own distinct narrative. All right, are we ready? We, yeah, we yeah, gotta let's keep see moving. Here. Next one, number We're close 11. to the top ten. The la- we're getting so close, guys. Number eleven. <laughs> Remember how Tarantino was only like nine movies? <laughs> yeah, oh, uh... yeah, we gotta move. <laughs> um, I'm running out of time. Number eleven, Last Temptation of Christ. It's awesome. Great movie. Um, this is this is if I had to rank the Scorsese movies in the bro list, this is probably my number four. I I fucking love this movie. It's engaging in every fucking scene, beautiful in every scene, torturous. Um, it's got that silence feeling of where you you invest yourself into his pain. Um, but also the big appeal of it is sort of the. Uh, Scorsese does a lot of biopic movies where he examines. Uh, personal flaws in humans or whatever and how that makes them larger than life he sort of does the inverse here where jesus christ is larger than life and he takes the source material um i forget the man's name but the book came out in the 50s uh last temptation of christ and it sort of humanizes christ and it gives him uh conflict and this is clearly controversial at the time but um i think it's very enduring and one of the best 
religious things I've ever seen. I agree. I think it might be one of my favorite religious movies. I think it is better than Silence, which I didn't expect coming into it. Uh, we have to say William Defoe is a perfect Jesus. Oh yeah, he's he's fucking killing it. Yeah, I also agree. I'll weigh in and say that this is better than Silence. This is the one of the three I didn't rewatch this time, uh, but from my memory, it is uh, absolutely fantastic. And this this interesting kind of alternate portrait of Jesus as a as a human character. Uh, I think that's what it does better than like Kundun does, like I said, which which kind of loses the humanity of the Dalai Lama character halfway through the movie. Um, I think it is interesting that he makes uh, everyone around Jesus just an Italian New Yorker. Uh, <laughs> that's, dude, dude, that's an interesting spin. My favorite bits of the movie are when he talks to Harvey Keitel's Judas, which happens up multiple times, clearly. But like those conversations are gems. And then the yeah. Harry Dean Stanton thing near the end, where he has the uh, the illusion or the the fake life, and right. Harry Dean Stanton basically gives the message of the film, which is um, the the idea of Jesus is more important than the man, and if he yeah. lived like a man, then you know what I mean. Like he had to sacrifice, yeah. and that's the story. The story is important. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's actually... story of sacrifice, really. I want to note as well that David Bowie is in the movie. Wait, what? David Bowie's, David in, the Bowie's movie. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out. He's in the movie. I'm <laughs> just giving it to He's... you guys. Go ahead. <laughs> I, talk, I talk too much. Go ahead. Yeah, David Bowie's in the movie. He plays a, a Pont- more minor he plays part. Pon- he plays Pontius Pilate. Yeah. What do we think of his That's performance? All I- I don't, I don't, oh, I, I don't it's, been, it's been a long time. It, I just like pointing out when long, David right? Bowie's in movies. <laughs> no, he's got a small part. I just, it's just notable when David Bowie is in a movie. That's all. <laughs> all right, guys. David Bowie is in a movie. Are we ready for number fucking 10? God fucking yeah. damn it. By the way, he's number in the 10. fucking labyrinth, the fucking man who wasn't there. Wait, is that David Bowie? I don't remember David Bowie. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I just saw it, and I have I have nothing to say about Pontius, really. I mean, David Bowie is in this movie. Look, <laughs> yeah. guys, you didn't have to make a big thing out of it. I just right. wanted to point out that David Bowie was in the movie, all right? Fucking, he in the movie. fucking David. That's it. That's all you had to say. That's it. It's just David Bowie's in the movie. We can leave it at that. He absolutely is. He's not in the yes. next movie, though. Which no. is number 10, Shutter Island. <laughs> <laughs> you guys fucking botched Last Temptation, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Shutter Island was good. Um, I I watched it this time and I was more excited by it. I didn't realize how fun it was. I thought this is very marketable. I think this is his, one of his highest grossing films, if not the. Um, I remember people in my fucking high school were hyped over this fucking movie, mainly because of the twist at the end. But um, watching it this time, I, it puts you more into the head of Leonardo DiCaprio than I remembered. As, as far as twist movies go, Shutter Island's one of the really great ones that stands above its twist. Like, it still holds up despite that. Uh, it, and it's one of the unavoidable ones, too. When I first saw the movie, I knew about it already because at that time you, you couldn't avoid knowing what the secret was. But I think it's it's still a really phenomenal film. And if anything, the twist gives it more context. I love the setting. The cinematography is really beautiful. I love the vibrant uh, colors we get in the flashback sequences. Uh, DiCaprio gives a captivating performance, of course. And you've got some really great other uh, big actors here, like Ben Kingsley and Max von Sydow. 
and our writer who made really push for this one and i think everyone really likes it does does everyone like it does graham like it he likes it i think okay. graham is probably the lowest of anyone on it uh and you know i can understand why but it, it's never below an entertaining film i think but i i find it still really phenomenal especially the editing is something i really picked up on this time because that's kind of the, the the niche of the film is that there's a lot of uh trickery going on and some weird um you don't know exactly with the visuals especially the obvious one is the the missing glass the missing glass is really interesting um, yeah I, an, I have no idea if I if I remembered it in the theater because I saw this like opening day, so I didn't know anything. I was completely blown away. There's actually there's a lot of things like that throughout. Like I kind of picked up and saw these weird editing things throughout. Like they'll cut in scenes and and it won't be uh, when they cut from like an over shoulder shot. People will be posed in a radically different way than they were before, or the the you know the structure of the the frame there is very different. You know, uh, from scene to scene. I feel like Scorsese had been trying to kind of break into a thriller a lot with like Cape Fear and maybe uh, maybe the Nick Cage uh, ambulance movie, Bringing Out the Dead. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like he was trying this. I try. I feel like he tried this for a long time, and this was like his resounding success for all those efforts. I agree. I I think the debate goes into whether or not this deserved to be in the top ten. But I think this is way more competent, way more entertaining, and a little bit more like emotional than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think the emotions for it really play well, especially in that that kind of emotional kicker there in the the flashback scene where we kind of put all the pieces together and figure out what's going on. Yeah, to I his think family. That really yeah. lands. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 area lands, and again, I think a lot of it you also got to chalk to DiCaprio just totally 100% in the performance and selling it. He's phenomenal and he really gives it his all most every time he's with Scorsese. I think Gangs is our one exception, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I just really love Le- Leo and R- Ruffalo too. I mean, they're really good together. Okay, so number nine, Age of Innocence. This movie was way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I thought it was going to be mediocre, but this turns out to be uh, way more entertaining and way more uh, evocative. This is a really good romance to me. And apart from his world cinema project, it's only Scorsese in the uh, Criterion collection. Uh, no, I mean, they. Uh, I think they have, yeah, they have Last Temptation as well. Oh, do they? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so just two great movies in there. Um <laughs> It's really fantastic. It goes from like that Gilded Age New York, and I think we had a lot of debate about what kind of high society it's portraying and uh, how it how it kind of gets uh, that message across. But for me, it's a cutting satire of the rich. I, the I, I I can totally agree with that, and I can see the harsh criticisms. I think those are, if not satire, it's very strong thematic points of like, hey man, without this society, you know, fucking this relationship up, you know. Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Daniel Day Lewis acts like a putz the first half of this film. I didn't like the first half, and then the second half where he sort of gets on Michelle Pfeiffer's page, that yeah. and the romance starts to click. I'm like, this is this is picking up steam now. David, any thoughts? I know you don't like this film. Yeah, I'm I'm the big dissenter here on this film. I don't know. It's just not something that connects with me. Uh, I care not for the problems of the bourgeoisie. You like to say that, but I think it is I, I a satire of them. And 
I, mean, I think I th- it's okay to be able to make fun of them. I, I think criticizing subject matter is a weird way to tackle it. I mean, I know it's your sensibilities, I'm, and you're not arguing that it's bad because of it. You're just saying you don't like it because of it. But and yeah, I think I, it's I, uh, people say a lot that Scorsese doesn't enable like women voices, but Edith Wharton won the first Pulitzer for this book, and it's a really important feminist book too. So uh, I think it's his most female voice story that he's uh, ever made. Uh, uh, I I don't know. I disagree with that. You think you think what Alice has more to it than a Pulitzer winning Edith Wharton yes. novel? Come on. Yes, I think it has a stronger female you're, voice, most certainly to it. That's insane. But, no, no, you're insane. You're insane. I mean, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's <laughs> character is incredibly nuanced, and um, it it rides the line between is she playing with Daniel Day Lewis's feelings? You know, what's yeah. she doing here? What's she doing there? Um, it's fascinating. She's magnetic on the screen. Daniel Day-Lewis um, does a very serviceable job. He doesn't necessarily have a large range of emotions, but he's very handsome in the film, and he also sounds very like, this is a very pleasant film to listen to, because everybody whispers. He comes off the page really nicely, I thought. And I, I think Winota's really good in it as well. And the costume design is fucking fantastic. The whole elegance of the set and the production design just astounding and i can't believe that i mean i couldn't believe it was even 1993 like i look at like something like a phantom thread is pretty comparable to this or uh um what was the movie this year little women i still think isn't even as good as this and it just came out this year okay yeah i, I just i don't have much to to weigh in on this one i'd argue against you more calvin but i, I didn't get it to around to rewatching this one didn't spark my interest enough, but I'm glad you're here to support it. Well, you enjoy well, it. Well, when you rewatch and, it for the future podcast, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll be sure to talk about it. I liked uh, I liked Laura's points as well that I should bring up that it is just as cutthroat as something like the gangster films, and it's really funny to do that in this gilded New York setting instead, because he's really transporting his gangsters into you know this way back New York high society, but really good stuff. Uh, I'd encourage everyone to see it anyway. It's on Criterion for a reason. David yeah, wants to I, say I more than he is. No, I don't. I, I really don't. All I want to say is that this movie does not interest me. It's just Calvin got me a little fired up with the, <laughs> trying to argue with me about Alice. Well, but we'll get around yeah, to that Yeah, one. here's the thing. is, I didn't see Alice, so I'll just be quiet during that argument. Sounds great. Number, we'll wrap around to that one. Number eight, Wolf of Wall Street. Ow! Look, guys, this movie is about like werewolves going to the Wall Street, right? Right? No, and I kidding. said there weren't any good werewolf movies. It turns out there's at least one. No, this this movie is uh, about Jordan Belfort, a uh, guy that did penny stocks and did fraud, and uh, mm-hmm. this sort of chronicles his rise and fall, much like Goodfellas. This this is a it's... good ripoff of Goodfellas. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing is that I think that's the incredible thing about it is that this film is entirely 100% the same exact formula as Goodfellas just on Wall Street, but it still works. And that's what's kind of amazing about it is that it feels still distinctly different and incredible in different ways, but like like you could basically put them side by side and they'll probably hit the same ble- same beats. Yeah, just like Age of Innocence, it captures that same well, I'm, I'm talking about like just structurally as well, because especially with the the kind of encompassing voiceover of the entire film and the the kind of ups and downs and working your way through the ranks and everything like that, it feels exactly like Goodfellas in many places. This is just such a fun watch too. I mean, it Belfort's is. such an expansive character, and he's so colorful and strange that it's you know all the drugs and all the money. There's 
there's just so much fun cinematic emotion and visual language to use here. I agree. This this movie is a blast. I think I think he heightens the uh, the fantasy more than Goodfellas. Um, th- yeah, there's yeah. less coming down. We'll talk about it when we get to Goodfellas, but there's like a harsh come down. Um, Wolf of Wall Street's come down is much more somber. I think that's more of a. I think this is actually a more social commentary take on it because it's sort of like we act, everybody actively wants to be rich like Jordan Belfort, and then you have to realize yeah. watching it that there is something severely wrong here. Um, Goodfellas. <laughs> sort of is about crime so everybody knows crime is bad crime doesn't pay everybody just so you know yeah, i think it was the first time we saw jonah hill and we're like holy shit this guy's gonna do some oh. real acting from here i think people saw that in, in moneyball as well right moneyball as well sure a couple yeah. of years before yeah but i think he really like i, I think this film kind of got a little robbed at the oscars that year uh and and both jonah hill and uh Leo really deserves something there, but uh, on Bro's point, as far as for the film, I, f- I feel like it kind of lets the characters get away with it a little too much. It doesn't feel uh, reprimanding enough of of their actions. Uh, like you said, there's definitely not as much of a come down as I feel like there could be. But that's really my only flaw with the film. Even the runtime of three hours, where we complained about it before with stuff like Gangs of New York and Casino, the pacing for Wolf of Wall Street is just so incredible that you'd never know it was three hours if you weren't checking the time. No, it runs really smooth too. Uh, fantastically edited, uh, well shot, of course. Mm-hmm. I like I like the color especially. The colors really pop from this film. It's very and beautiful. I think we talk a lot about like Scorsese needle dropping, and it's a lot of old songs. Generally, this soundtrack's very lively and fresh. I agree. Yeah, and it, and it fits with the time. I think yeah. that's the thing that you kind of get there as well. Dude, dude, guys, guys, during the police SWAT scene, it doesn't play "Give Me Shelter." It plays Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. What a what a shift. Uh, what do we got next, bro? Okay, all right. I'm glad we're moving through these. Number seven. It's the king of comedy. Ha ha ha! It's hilarious. It's actually not. So that no, funny. no. It's it's not funny. It's not a funny movie, and, and it's disarmingly so. Like you think it's gonna be funny, and it's the most uncomfortable viewing experience of your life. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I is, think it's very funny. For me, it's as funny as movie. This is a very cringe uh, movie. This is a movie where my problem with laughing at it was I felt really, really bad for everyone yeah, involved. That's fair. You're and, laughing. And you're and laughing. It it's an uncomfortable laughter. That's the thing is that you're laughing because of how uncomfortable you are, how nervous you are watching things going on, and the awkwardness of it all. It's it's a forced laughter. Like you're not doing it on purpose. Really, it's it's. And the film does make you feel very weird, I think, because it is, you're basically taking this, uh, and there was a lot of com- uh, com- uh, discussion about King of Comedy this year with uh, the parallel with Joker coming out and the similarities there in the characterizations. And I think that's the thing there. You got this incredibly socially awkward character who's just forcing their way through in this situation and it, and it just becomes more and more tense and uncomfortable as it unravels. De Niro does a great job. Jerry Lewis does a fantastic job. He's got so much yeah. shit to do in this film. He's got to play both so, sides. He's got to play the dream side, and then he's got to play the reality. And he brings both. That's the thing is that Jerry much. Lewis is basically playing himself here as a talk show host, kind of though instead. Or, or uh, yeah. Uh, but he does. He plays it straight the whole time. This is not funny like Jerry Lewis, like he's famous for. He plays a straight character this whole time, oh, having I to think deal it, with this character. I think it's very anti-comedy, though. I think it's even funny no, it itself is. that it's called King of Comedy, because 
anyone going would think that's subversive as hell because uh, there's really nothing like ha ha funny about it. It's more just like a a very biting, you know, satire of like fame chasing comedians and uh, what yep. people will do for fame. I think a uh, Rupert Pumpkin's one of the best Scorsese characters to. I agree, uh, I agree with that. Rupert, cool. Rupert Pumpkin is Pumpkin, not Pump. Pumpkin. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I gotta get that right. Um, he's he's engaging, and I think he's he's more sympathetic than Travis because there's you put you put yeah. these two together. People tend to, and uh, this movie I I like more on that human level. I I can understand. Uh, rupert's plight more and uh the psychopaths in this film are much more pitiable um or pitiful i guess um great performances all around i don't have anything else to say other than this movie was hard for me to watch i'll be honest i don't really have any i don't really have any downsides on it it's pretty cool for me coming off raging bull that they were on such a hot streak to go right to this totally different movie nothing in common the only unfortunate thing was that it was a financial failure. But uh, yeah. yeah, I guess oh, well. the, the only the only negative thing that I have to say is that it's not fun to watch. So I watch it rarely because it's very uncomfortable. It's effective in how uncomfortable it ends up being. So that's why it's not as uh, likable. I'll say. <laughs> yeah, looks like we're getting tied up on time. Maybe we should move it on. All right, guys. Number six, the Aviator. So, uh, Aviator, I, I super, super love. I think it's uh, the best uh, single portrait like of a character uh, that he's done, really. Uh, it really encompasses... David, do you not like Jesus? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not down with the Jesus, man. That's not my... No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, I think... I think Howard Hughes is a fascinating character. He's like this uh, larger-than-life person and... Uh, it's a kind of a daunting project, I think, to take on for a biopic to try and capture him in a single film like this. But oh, I think Scorsese does it in a way only he can. And the technical uh, approach to the film is also marvelous in this idea of doing different color processes versus each decade. And tying that in specifically with Howard Hughes' own connection to the movie business uh, you know, during the 1940s and 50s Hollywood uh, it's it's a fascinating film, especially a fascinating look at like deteriorating mental illness as well, but also the huge hurdles that Hughes was able to overcome and just this this grand life that he had. And I really forgot what a wonderful theater experience I had with it, that it would be such a good uh, Descent into Madness film and how effectively that works here. It works so well. I agree. I think, I think as far as... Because, again... As I said before, he does he does this thing where he takes a character, uh, takes a human being, and looks at their flaws and sees how their flaws sort of make them more than they are. And Aviator is sort of like the peak of that, where it's like, oh, this man is insane, but he's also brilliant. Um, mm. I, I remember Joan. Uh, I I remember an interview with Jonah Hill describing Scorsese's filmmaking style, which was just very decision. Like he could make a decision in five seconds. He would just need like, give me time to think. Here's the answer, and he would have the right answer. And I that's see his brilliance. I think I, that's his brilliance, and I see that in Howard Hughes's character in The Aviator. That happens throughout where he he has a mess of a life but he solves problems and his art in movies and in the planes themselves his dedication is sort of what's beautiful i think that's uh, a really good summary of that yep i think it's a, a great film 
and is a little bit more overlooked in his uh, stuff there. I'm not sure what people find problematic with it, though, at all, because I think it's uh, the best product you could expect from something so expansive as uh, Howard Hughes' uh, historic life. Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, film for capturing that. Uh, I, I think the next one should be interesting. Number five, Alice doesn't live here. I'm sorry for doing this one. Alice doesn't live here anymore. So uh, this is the best feminist film that Scorsese has ever made, and I'm going to leave it at that. Calvin, anything to say? I have no opinions on this movie. It's a great movie. I'm really glad that David ended up with a very positive experience. Of course, I I, I may have this ranked even higher than AJ Innocence. I don't think it... I don't think it should win like a Pulitzer Prize in the past, but I think it's oh. a really astounding story that is very personal to him and his best use of uh, a female actress, anyway. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it deserves a Pulitzer Prize or anything like that, but I also don't think that's the award we should hold as the end-all, be-all. I mean, uh, I I don't know if it, like in 74, if it could have even, you know... No, I don't no, think that's it's, not the... That's I don't think it's better than Chinatown or something. I don't think it's the best uh, movie of that year or whatever. I'm not, yeah, I'm, and I'm not saying that either. You know, 74 was also the year of Godfather Part 2 in the conversation, so. Right. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot. The 70s gave us so much great stuff, and Alice is only one of them, but it is a great one and often overlooked. Uh, it's Ellen Burstein coming off of The Exorcist, and she makes this, you know, she specifically chose Scorsese for making this very personal, much more kind of low-key, low-budget uh you know, portrait of a uh, divorced woman or uh, widowed, rather. She's right. widowed, isn't Widow. she? Yeah, yeah. And uh, her having to raise this young boy, who again we have a phenomenal child actor here, uh, putting on the performance of this kid, and it's, I think it's this really interesting perspective. So all the people out there who complain about Scorsese not having <laughs> yeah. great women characters in this film clearly have never seen Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore because it is phenomenal. It's one of the the strongest, uh, you know feminist films i think i've seen just in general i think it's it's truly uh, outstanding i think it's really a beautiful story about coming off a relationship and life after it because so many movies are just about you know well a relationship can't be still it's either going up or down at any point but you rarely get the part afterwards where you have to counter back at life and uh, kind of finding hope again well while the boy sometimes feels like you know scorsese's very close to his mother it feels like a story of him and his mother and uh, kind of, you know, uh, it's sort of a ode to all moms in some way, and that's a really nice thing to make. Yeah, and I think what's also interesting about the feminist perspective of the film is that it doesn't linger around relationships either. It also, no. you know, specifically deals with Burstein's own dreams, you know, her character and where she ends up in life and her, her wants and needs as a woman as well. Uh and I think I think my favorite thing about it, the decision it makes as well, is that it's a feminist film where she chooses to be with a man uh, because yeah. that's what she wants in life. It doesn't it doesn't demean her for wanting to be in a relationship or even be uh, even need the help of a man per se. She wants that from Chris Christopherson's character for her, you know, to be able to rely on him in that uh, traditional sense. And I and I appreciate that the film frames that as a valid uh, feminist choice for the character. Very suspect, though, choosing to be with the man. Um, uh, no, I really like Alice. Uh, I like everything about Alice. I think it's I, almost I, a perfect yeah. film. And I love it that is. it's almost an art film as well. Well, there's also there's some really great Scorsese cinematography throughout the, a lot. I talk about his kinetic camera at various points, but there's this really great scene in the middle where we have this 
violent confrontation that kind of comes very unexpectedly in the film. Uh, yeah. And it's all done in one shot, kind of going throughout the entire house back and forth in a handheld. And it's, uh, you know, it's prime early Scorsese cinematography stuff. And so it's it's just phenomenal overall. And I, I think it's very touching and uh, surprising that this is something Scorsese had in him so early as well. This is his fourth film. Yeah, I love that we got it in the top five here. Uh, I feel like our our next four go be there's gonna be some overlap in what these are about. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 this is the prime stuff. Scorsese stuff. This yeah, is, this is I mean, top these are class. these are yeah. pretty unquestionably what you think of when someone says Scorsese. This is your image that comes to mind. I think. Number uh, four. Unfortunately, we are a little predictable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number four, The Irishman. Do you do you think it's, this one will go down? No, 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 no. I, I don't feel like it will. People lately, I've been hearing talking about people soften their cool on Irishmen, but I, I, I just have hard, hard, hard time believing it. I can't see it doing anything but going up in my mind. Uh, I meant to sit down and watch it again once it came to Netflix, because uh, I saw it in theaters. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there's no time. <laughs> There's no time. It's three and a half hours. I'm sad, bro, that you didn't watch it in one sitting, but that's okay. I did. I, this was a science experiment. Y'all keep saying theater is the intended experience, but I'm like, I need to see this in the most inconvenient way possible. <laughs> and it still worked. It's not designed episodically or anything, um, but the film got way better to me when i realized to me this is a story about jimmy hoffa and uh his name is frank right i'm trying to remember yeah the frank names. sheeran F- frank? i thought you weren't going to refer to character names i thought you were only doing actors this is so difficult point is is al pacino acts his butt off right yeah and uh, everyone else does too but this is the first this is the first time i've seen an al pacino movie actually i mean i've seen scarface and stuff but like this is the one where it's like oh. wow so you're saying you're not wowed by like the Godfather or anything? It's good, but Michael Corleone's like <laughs> cold. Like I, I, I like his energy, especially I guess late Pacino is I guess the other thing, right? Yeah. So like I'll he, say this: well, I'd rather watch Irishman than The Godfather right now. I, I, it's more watchable. I think uh, I've, I've said before how I find The Godfather doesn't connect with me personally, even though it is a masterpiece in many ways. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, as far as for late Pacino stuff, we'll say the uh, post Duncanino. This this is probably your best bet here. This is a phenomenal performance. Uh, but th- although everyone in the film is, we got our three heavy hitters here. I'm really glad Pesci came incredible. back. Pesci coming back was yeah, yeah. And it's a different Pesci too. He's so understated here. He's not bombastic <laughs> in any way, yeah, and that's whispering. more chilling. I think it's what it is. It's what it is. Yeah, he has he has some great moments in this. I I I saw this movie over two months ago now though. Uh, and it, we've talked about it the last five podcasts. So, uh, I also yeah. have a review up on the site, so go read that as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, uh, there's I, a lot we've talked about on it. I haven't talked about it because you guys haven't invited me on a cast since then. The next cast I'm doing has to be a really good movie, guys. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I, I think <laughs> it, we, it we won't disclose yet, but uh, we have an idea for you, bro. And That's it's great. It's going to be a hell of a movie. I'm, I'm very excited. I hope it's a masterpiece. An act, but other than that, I, I think movie. Irishman... I'm going to complain about the CGI more than anyone else. I noticed it a lot. At least on a I noticed TV it. screen. Yeah, I, I noticed it, but I was never bothered by it. Uh, yeah, same. It, I think it's essential. I, I, found I, and I, I adjusted to it. 
Yeah, go ahead. I adjusted to it as the film went on, and also it got better as it went on, obviously, because they needed less to enhance the actors. Once you get about halfway through, not only does the film really pick up as well, like, it, it gets even better, but also the CG is, like, a non-factor at that point. I, I, I mean, there's the one part for me where he's in the military, and he has the plastic rubbery face, but... The rest it's of the like time, a minute. I'm, Thankfully, that yeah, was really it's just short. like a second in like a five-hour film. But the rest of the time, I'm like, it's it's what it is. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I guess my thing is, I some people ask like, why couldn't they re- like cast younger people for this? And I was like, I think it's important to see these actors throughout these different stages because I think age is an essential theme to this film. And also, I think it's kind of important for coherence because this movie jumps around a little bit sometimes, and seeing seeing De Niro in those different zones helps. It actually does help. Uh, the CGI is actually a, a positive in certain scenes where I'm like, okay, he's got this, or his hair is a certain way. I'm like, all right, this is easy film language. I mean, I'm transitioned back. Hello? Yeah. Sorry, you were, you were cutting out a bit, so it was hard to keep up. <laughs> oh, no. I This was all recorded. Um, basically, oh, yeah, I, that's, that's good, good yeah. yeah. No, we, we just heard little blips coming in. We're like, all right, is he done now? No, no. Is it's he done better now? to let no, you okay, talk no. so we don't lose yeah. whatever I, I you I talked. Saying. Just say I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I'll Everything say, you said, I heard all of it. And I'll yes. say it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> what I, I, I think that's about it, right, guys? We're, we're on to the next one? Yeah, Absolutely. It, it's what it is. It's what it is. <laughs> it's what it is. Number three, good fellas. It's what it is. <laughs> Good, Goodfellas, it's so classic. How can you not love Goodfellas? You guys did a cast uh, it's incredible. On yeah, we, we did, did, we did. So, you know what? We should let Bro just uh, talk about his feelings here because anyone can hear what me and Calvin oh, yeah. have to say about so, it already. Bro, For the record, I haven't, I haven't heard your cast on it. I'm really bad. Uh, um, I, sh- uh, I should have well, researched. Th- thanks for supporting us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have tried harder. No, but um, I like this film a lot. It It's... It's the most graceful out of, like, when we talked about The Wolf of Wall Street and how fun it is, it, it's less graceful, right? There's less of a moral yeah. center. There's less of a there's less of a nuance to it. Goodfellas has all of that. And Goodfellas has expert craft. Like, everybody fucking remembers the one fucking shot scene where they go around the club. Everybody fucking remembers the that. The Copacabana shot. The Copacabana. Yeah. Come on. Um, it's the one take. It's the famous one take where they go all the way through. It's so good, and um, th- this film is just a masterpiece to me. Um, this is his best crime. Any crime film I see of Scorsese or period, I kind of compare to this. Um, yeah, yep. This is the gangster film, and we said it before as well on our Goodfellas cast. We like it better than The Godfather. And we're just making a site-wide proclamation. Sorry, Graham. It's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some Coppola heads here that are probably going to go crazy. But, um, yeah, I like it a lot. Um, I even love Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta's fucking sick in yeah. this. I don't know what happened to his career, but he's good. Well, we just recently... Just recently, everyone's been praising him in Marriage Story, but that's the first time since Goodfellas that anyone's actually liked Ray Liotta in a movie. Last time I liked Ray Liotta was Tommy Versetti in Vice City. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, you know, I have to say about Goodfellas as well. I think Goodfellas has the best Neil drops of any yeah. Scorsese film. We it's talked great. about that a little bit, but it's it's got so many throughout. Uh, just beginning with the very opening, it's got a really again a great opening in contrast to the bad openings of Scorsese films, where it goes from as far back as I can remember. I always wanted to be a gangster, but also the, the Neil drops. We got a great the the best gimme shelter is in Goodfellas. We've yeah. got with the sunshine coat of your scene, love. Right? Yeah. It's like it's all the coke on the table, and you got the give me shelter. Uh, we got the good. the great in, uh, sunshine of your love. There's a great needle drop for that one, as well as I love the Layla. Probably is the best one where we mm-hmm. get the montage of all the mob killings. <sighs> it's a great movie, and I yeah, my favorite gangster movie, my favorite crime movie of all time is The Goodfellas. Maybe mm-hmm. if you're a Coppola head, go get your shine box. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it is what it is. Alright, it is what it is, guys. Alright, number two, y'all. Are you ready? It's fucking Taxi Driver. Oh, guys, we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting the good shit now. You know, before yeah. we, were, we were doing the, you know, the okay shit. The, it's pretty good stuff. Now it's gank. <laughs> That's, that's the only problem with the structure of these kind of list podcasts is that we have to be mean in the beginning and then it gets kind of boringish in the middle. We spend we talk 10 about minutes talking films. shit about Boxcar Bertha. Then we have five <laughs> minutes to, to praise fucking Taxi Driver. But that, means, yeah. but that means you can do a cast on Taxi Driver still, right? That's of yeah, that's we the thing. Is that we have we're to. really saving all of these ones more for more in-depth caps, like we did with Goodfellas before. But yeah. Taxi Driver certainly deserving of a lot of praise. It's a definitive American classic, I think. Uh, one of the tops. You could argue that it's uh, Scorsese's best film for sure. And I think it almost did be our favorite Scorsese, if not for number if one it, existing. If it could have been, it wouldn't have been too surprising. I think there's uh, you know almost equal support there. I, uh, I feel like this is the, the, the consensus of the, the audience of the world would say that Taxi Driver is the best film. And it's not wrong. No. I think uh, Tax Drive Phenomenal. I do want to say, I've said it before as well, I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, I should have brought this up, because this is actually the second film with a Bernard Herrmann score from Scorsese, because they reused the original one from Cape Fear. Right. Uh, is that? But this is not only the best Bernard Herrmann score, which is the last score he did before he died, but this is the best score of all time. This is the best score of any movie ever. I love the score for Taxi Driver the most, the most of anything. It's really good. I, I agree. Since I picked up like Ubering, I love just putting this score on while I'm driving people around at night. Ke- Calvin, don't don't devolve and turn into Travis. <laughs> that is that what is do you mean? a terrible. <laughs> no, 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 nothing. Don't don't emulate Travis. Just emulate the soundtrack, not the character. <laughs> I right? I even got a sticker for the car that says "We are the people." Uh oh. Does, does it ridiculous. say? Does it say "We are the people"? or Does it say "We are the people"? Because that's the important distinction that needs oh, to be made. Oh, I think it's the, an important one. The R is underlined, obviously. <laughs> Guys, th- okay, this is the time to do it. What is your favorite Scorsese cameo? This is a weird one. That's why I said that. I just remember. There's it. there's two. There's two Scorsese cameos in this movie. Yeah. There's this one explicit shot. Where he's where he watches Betsy go by, and he's in the center of the frame. But then there is the elongated one where he uh, throws end bombs out in the back of the car. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> the weird ones. I, I think my favorite great. After Hours, but yeah, After Hours one is just a, this this tiny one where he's an operator up there. Uh, cool, I like though. the. I think I like the taxi driver one the best, honestly, because it's effective. I think he's not a cameo there so much. He's an actual character, and his scene is so effective. It feels genuinely menacing to me. Any other comments on it? 
Yeah, it's just it's a phenomenal film. It's a it's a great insight into the the mental you know disturbings of a of a character. It's just a great portrait of America in the 1970s and the politically charged atmosphere of the time. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. It's perfect. I'd even I, say. I don't think people are brave enough to make this movie anymore. I mean, you were never really here. Is really the closest we've gotten. And and yeah, even then, it's. I mean, we don't have that. <laughs> we have a lot of political attention, but it's very different and differently directed than it was it's, after like Vietnam. Yeah, uh, I think that's, and that's why we have so many great films like this from the seventies. And I think this is politically a really interesting one, and. Uh, De Niro is so good in this. God, everyone's good. Everything's good about this. I agree. I, right, I, have, bro, look, I don't have any problems with Taxi Driver. Yeah, I think we got know, to that part of the zero, list where these are flawless. Um, I, I think this is an ugly move, but it's beautiful, too. Like In contrast oh, yeah. to King of Comedy, the ugliness and the awkwardness still works it's still it's still it's beautiful support, it's right. it, yeah it's still it's um well it's, it's, well, it's a, interesting because it is that it is that confluence of the beauty of like you have the score and the the great cinematography the the score which is very romantic in its jazz type with the, the saxophone and everything paired with the the mental degradation of the character and the descent into the underbelly of New York and the the sleaze and the slime that goes on there and the rapid uh you know acceleration of Travis's violent tendencies it all works together in this uncomfortable uh but poetic kind of film yep are we good well, this is getting a cast yeah. this is this is getting a podcast guys come on yeah I think uh, it, it's hard. I mean, everyone knows Taxi Driver is great. We don't need to say it again. Bada bing, bada boom. But number one, I mean, we got to talk about it. It's Raging Bull. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you'll say that Taxi Driver has the best score of all time. But I say this is the greatest movie ever made. Uh, I can't disagree with you, honestly. I think it's certainly a contender for it. And the score, uh, the the operatic score that is selected, specifically the Italian opera, you know, stylings for the score, is a perfect complement to Raging Bull as well. So, um, I should say, when I first saw Raging Bull, I, I stayed up. I noticed it was on a few times that night. I stayed glued to the TV and watched it three times in a row. <laughs> I think this was like my fall in love with movie moments when I was like, you know, like 12, 13 or something. And I was just sitting there alone. And I stayed up all night and just watched Raging Bull over and over. You know, at that perfect point at life, it's the perfect thing for a man to find. Especially like, a, a you know, you're coming of age and you want to see something about uh, male feelings. And especially when they get really messy. It's the perfect American story. We always have like this image of boxing as this black and white sport. It was the great American sport. It, it's about like rugged individualism and everything Americans could want. And I just love that it's photographed in perfect black and white for most of the movie. Well, I think that's the interesting thing, well, is that it wasn't originally going to be until they saw there was this kind of weird look with the color of the gloves and the shorts so they mm -hmm. decided that it had to be filmed in black and white and that was the the genius decision of the film there because it is it's gorgeous black and white it's one of the most beautiful black and white films ever made I've, and yeah i've heard both things that they did it for that reason and because the cinematographer's idea of american sport was that uh for their generation it was black and white there was no was... boxing in color 
Nobody ever there's also this weird, that, so. there's a weird quote from Jake LaMotta as well, where he says he has like memories and his memories play in black and white. Yeah. It says in his autobiography. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons why actually for the black and white, but um, it's all just, it culminates in this perfectly genius film. And it's kind of incredible coming off of the disaster of New York, New York to just go completely into this. This is also kind of a rehab movie for yeah. uh, Marty because he was d- struggling with cocaine addiction at the time. And this was, he channeled all of his energy into this to try and break away from that. And I and think, so it, you, I think I feel it so deeply because that that's my addiction to, of course, like cocaine and like going in and looking at that. And that's a, such a, it's so poignant as a recovery movie as well. And about the stresses and the emotional feelings that you get. So I, I think it's a perfect movie and I don't, I don't have any other movie I think is uh, technically better than this. Uh, tech- technically wise uh, as well, just the cinematography. I think this is a candidate for the one of the most magnificent cinematography of any film as well, especially in those boxing scenes, which are so meticulously planned out and brilliantly executed with all, again, the, the whip, the whipping pan moves, the, the zooms in, you know, the you get the rushes in of the camera there, these great close-ups throughout. Uh, and it's and it feels so huge. The movie does in this big canvas of this sport here, with all the flashing cameras, uh, the the bulbs and everything going off constantly. The sound design is just such a huge major aspect of the film as well. Uh, you know how how can I say just everything in this film is magnificent? How do you say that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it is. I think that's what masterpieces are really reserved for. And I think this is exclusively one that I'd, you know. I, I love every piece of Raging Bull. I, I'm so inwardly biased towards it, having seen it hundreds of times. And I mean, it's not even about the boxing, the way that Jaws isn't about the shark, right? It's uh, every great sports movie is about the human element. And it's so much about Jake LaMotta. And it's the best story I've ever, I've ever seen or heard about one man's struggle with his own demons. Well, and that's the thing as well, is that it's such a great portrait of human flaws because he is this kind of... Uh, magnificent character this larger than life superhuman character and his talents and skill but he throws it all away through his emotional flaws and his his temperament and such and and you see that in the struggle with the relationship as well with his wife uh is a constant thing and you've got that you know male and female uh struggle there and you get that intrinsic abuse that you see in in scorsese films well the emotional and physical abuse but it is framed in that sympathetic way at no point do you see jake lamada as a good guy but he's somehow sympathetic still despite being a vile person i guess i don't even know uh bro where are you at with rich <laughs> I let you guys talk for like five minutes. You, yeah. you guys are just feeling. Um, We're passionate, I, I, okay? I agree with the black and white. Um, it's great use of space. To talk about Jake LaMotta's character, I, I think it's a beautiful portrayal of humanity. And uh, yeah, the flaws. Y'all fucking said everything I was going to say. Um, okay. <laughs> uh it's but it's monumental, right? Whereas when we see um, when we see something like the Aviator, Scorsese kind of has to emphasize its epicness. It's like he built a fucking huge plane. Whereas like this, well, is, that, yeah. <laughs> whereas this is like it's very downplayed, but it's it's so epic on a personal level. And that's yeah, I think it's in, in, I think that, it's internal storytelling, which for me is much larger. Well, that's the, I guess that's the difference between those particular two films as well, is that, I mean, Howard Hughes' life really was that huge, whereas Jake LaMotta's, it's it's the 
and we're using him as a canvas for all of humanity essentially like a yeah. human character and that ends up speaking even greater volumes i think as opposed to the uh uniqueness of an individual but uh i mean just between all of them you can count all of them there you can see scorsese is masterful at capturing portraits of real people you know his greatest you know films they're all a series of uh biopics effectively he's, he's done the best biopics of anyone raging yeah. bull goodfellas aviator irishman wolf of wall street you know goes on and on and on last temptation as well you know this is a good but, final uh, speech david keep going <laughs> <laughs> people say that they lo- they don't like the idea of like a traditional biopic if they were all done by raging bull i i just watch every movie like that uh, oh, that's, it's so beautifully made i i think what part of what you're saying is that He's so celebrated for the way he is in the ring, and that same internal tendency is exactly what draws him apart from people in his life, which you know, I've always related to, especially like an addiction, like the things that you do your best and, and you need to be able to do your best uh, are also what alienate you from the people that you love, and you can never mm-hmm. get closer to them than you know the general public already is to you. And it, it just ends, I think as well, uh, Raging Bull on this really emotionally... Uh, like I said, sympathetic way. Like it, it, you really sympathize with the characters, particularly in one scene. I think uh, the scene where Lamada is thrown in the jail cell and he just beats himself against the wall is just so emotionally powerful, and the performance is so incredible that you can't help but feel that you see yourself reflected in Jake, the worst qualities of yourself. And I think that's uh, an incredible thing that the film manages to do is to get us to connect with this inherently terrible character and see the human aspect of that and how that all applies to us again that what the film does really well is that it manages to blow up the human element of this character this uh you know special individual on a level that is astronomical that really puts it in in a shakespearean way i believe ebert actually compared he said that raging bull is the othello of our times oh yeah and i think that's perfectly put uh I, it's just my it's, I wouldn't even say it's my favorite movie I just think it's objectively the best one I've seen have you seen Jack I Frost that, yeah. um <laughs> I, what's what's Jack Frost oh dude, dude guys 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 you gotta, you gotta listen to this so Jack Frost is a movie starring Michael Keaton and he turns into a uh, snowman uh, and it's a Christmas uh, movie it's really good we should bro, watch it for Christmas bro I, bro I I don't know if we've told you yet but that was our plan for you to come on the next show Oh my god! Guys, this is great. I'm so excited. Fuck Scorsese. Who gives a shit? <laughs> what a great coincidence that you break it up. Oh man. Uh, Bow on Scorsese before we uh, move on, I guess? Yeah. Um, he makes good pictures. Uh, it's what it is. <laughs> it's it's really, I mean, we wouldn't be here talking about him if he wasn't one of the best filmmakers uh, that's still working today. I think and I think obviously... we say living a lot, and I just want to say, even if he was dead, he'd be one of the best filmmakers no, of all time. No, I, I absolutely agree with that, and I think this filmography really speaks for itself there. It's I'm an just, incredible run. I think 25 I'm just getting, films in general. I think yeah. I'm just getting tired of this argument, like, Scorsese's only one of the greatest living filmmakers. Oh, I, the second yeah. he's gone, we'll be like, holy shit, what have we missed? This guy was one of the best of all time. No, I think we all feel like he's the best of all time. We just keep emphasizing living because we he does do it. so well, especially <laughs> compared to his uh, contemporaries, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, out of that new Hollywood block, he's the only guy who really continued uh, making functionally masterpiece-level movies, uh, even past the 80s. So 
uh, that he's doing yeah. it in 2019 is really remarkable. Yeah, again, seeing how the Irishman is so high on our list here, it, it does really stand as this testament for how grand and great Scorsese's work is and has still be. And I hope we get to see more of his, though 25 is a hell of a run. Yeah, uh, I think that we've gone all over all of them in pretty good detail here. And it's really a tribute to our passion to his filmmaking. Yeah. And th- thanks again, Sweet, Bro, guys. for joining us for this. Uh, it's it really was great so much fun, and- but I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> tears they still ring in my ears and for years they remain in my thoughts because one night I took off my robe and what I do I forgot to wear shorts I recall every fall every hook every jab the worst way a guy can get rid of his flab as you know my life was in drab though I'd much Though I'd rather hear you cheer when you delve, when I, though I'd rather hear you cheer when I delve into Shakespeare. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. I haven't had a winner in six months. And though I'm no Olivier, I would much rather. And though I'm no Olivier, if before Sugar Ray, he would say that the thing ain't the ring, it's to play. So give me a stage where his bull here can rage. And though I can fight, I'd much rather recite. That's entertainment. That's entertainment.